Everybody good? Good. I don't, wow. Preaching in Nazareth. Amen. How you doing, Joe? We love you, Joe. <laughs> good to see you back there, buddy. I spotted you. You can't hide from me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, they were just talking about his eye. Uh, Patty and her husband was, they went, he had to have some cataract. A uh, cataract? Okay. So we prayed. We prayed about his eye and we prayed for that cataract to go. I don't know who's ever seen cataract disappear. I've had the privilege, I pray for a lot of folks. So I had the privilege of seeing cataracts disappear about probably 10, 12, I don't know, 15 times. I don't know. You've seen it before? Yeah. And uh, I was in Texas. There was a lady who had them all over. She said uh, it was just everything was just a haze. And I had two ladies come over, and as soon as they touched her, she, they just disappeared. And, and that was probably one of the worst situations I've seen. You actually could look at her eyes and see. You could see them. It was like a tint there. But uh, we prayed, didn't see it go. And I, I said, listen, when, when, you have to, when you get a cataract removed, it's not like... It's not like a win or lose thing. It's not like, well, we failed. Well, we didn't get it. You, you do faith in all. You have faith in all you do. It's not one or the other. You don't put on your faith and try to get a, a victory and then say, oh, well, well I just guess I've got to go do this and then let down faith. It's relationship. You're walking with God. He loves you. Amen? So he went and had that done. And Patty was just telling me, oh, we went back in to look his eye and the doctors were amazed, said that they couldn't believe the vision for what it was right after the surgery and, and they, they made it sound like it was a big deal and that they were very surprised. That's a benefit of just continuing in faith. So you could say, well, and a cynical person wants to just look at everything they can find a, a problem with. We're not to be cynical people. We're to be believing people. So you think, wow, I prayed, I believed. I didn't see that cataract disappear. They removed it. But here my eye is better than they ever expected. There has to be a connection to the love of God and grace and continuing in faith. Who would agree? So you, you don't do one or the other. Everything you do, you do by faith. Amen? I mean, even if you're rushing to, uh, I just got to, Josh, he'll probably see this. Hi, Josh, Elise, we love you. Uh, in Australia. He had a message on my machine yesterday. His little boy was running, fell flat on his face, stood up, and his nose was smashed. He said it, was, it had that purpley white look. It was, it was smashed. He said it was terrible. He said, and it's their, it was their little boy, Elijah. And he grabbed him and he prayed, and he said they were rounding him up to go to the nearest hospital. And as they were heading to the car, so they were doing the practical thing. It's their child. They're taking him to the hospital. His nose smashed. They prayed. He prayed. The first thing he did was pray over him. As they're heading, he's not crying. And they're hustling him. And he looked over and his boy's nose looked like he never fell. But they were on, isn't that cool? They were on the way to the hospital. It's not like, you've got to be careful. You're not, you're not in that, you're not in that condemnation place. I see so many people struggle with this topic. And they're like, well... You know, but if I believed, I wouldn't this, that. And, and they make it a pressure thing. Like faith is a pressure thing. Like there's all this pressure on like you're either failing or succeeding. No, we're in relationship with God and we're in love. And we just have a greater liberty than that. You're not under that kind of pressure is what I'm saying. And if you are under that kind of pressure, you actually have a misunderstood view of your relationship with God. How's that for plain? Oh. Yeah, 
He has another one scheduled on Monday. We've got time to get that one. <laughs> Let's pray for his eye right now. Can we do that? Let's believe for this cataract to come out of his eye. Father, we just appreciate, we just believe, we just thank you. We're teaching on faith, we're teaching on covenant. God, his vision's better than they expected. He had it removed. And we rejoice in all that and truly say thank you. But God, we know, we know that you're almighty God, that that cataract can just disappear and there's an authority in Jesus in our lives. We have authority in your name and we love this guy. So Father, we just thank you right now for your grace upon him. Cataract, you come out of the eye. You disappear. I thank you, Father, you do it right now. Just surgically right now. By the knife of Holy Spirit, just right out of the eye in Jesus' name. Thank you for strong vision, strong eyes. Thank you for healthy eyes all the days of his life. And thank you, Father, in Jesus' name for your amazing love. Amen. Okay. Yeah. It's always right to believe God. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. We've been talking about, I've just really been, I took my time. I, I, I just read some scripture yesterday. We talked about a lot of the little incidences of healing in the Bible. Uh, you really have to be careful to look at the life of Jesus when you're talking about healing. If you don't look at the life of Jesus, you're going to get confused and make mistakes because our life and his life don't look alike in that area. <laughs> Does it? We're growing. Serious. We're growing. And we have to be very careful that as we're talking about healing, we continually look at the life of Jesus. Because if you don't, you're going to make a mistake. And a lot of people preach through their experiences and preach through their losses and preach through unanswered, seemingly unanswered prayer. There's a common phrase in the church, I don't know why God didn't heal. You know, there's preachers that say, well, we don't know why God doesn't always heal. And they make comments like that and it causes confusion because we read in the very beginning of all this that he's a yes and amen, didn't we? Is he in a yes and amen mood? Is he? Yeah. Oh, it's it's a yes and amen mode. Is he in yes and amen? He is, isn't he? Does he think anything else? Does the Bible say he thinks anything but yes and amen? Paul made it really clear, didn't he? Look at Matthew 10 with me real quick. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures here. We still didn't get into some of the scriptures that I want to show you. I want to just lay a real, I just want you to see how many scriptures there are. We shared Mark 11, Matthew 17, Matthew 21. Remember those scriptures? Talks about what you believe. Receiving what you believe, speaking, receiving. Saying to the mountain and it what? Moving. There's no parentheses behind those promises that say unless, of course, God sovereignly chooses not to move it. There's no parentheses behind there that says, well, unless it's not God's will. True? So we've got to be careful not to put those parentheses there. <laughs> Just, I haven't been saved forever. I've been saved 16 years. It's long enough to learn what we do. <laughs> we say a lot of stuff, I'm telling you. We've got to watch what we say about this whole healing thing. 
And uh, I'm convinced that at large, we let our experience dictate our theology in the area of healing instead of Jesus' life. I'm just convinced. Jesus' life is the truth about God's will to heal. It has to be. He's the will of God revealed. He's the visible image of an invisible God. When you see him, you've already seen the Father. He's the expressed image of his person and the outraying of his brightness. I just quoted several scriptures there. Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, 15, John 14. John 1 says, No one has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten in the bosom of the Father has declared him to us. Okay? So it's very important. We want a revelation of this healing thing because uh, grace that's available because it's a very powerful, needed aspect of our lives, true? Who feels like there's more sickness around than you've ever seen in your life? Who feels that way? It's, I don't think it's just the way it feels. I think it's the way it seems. And I know this, when you're out on the street and you pray for somebody that's sick and they get healed, it's a good day. Total access to their hearts, the way they respond, it's just good seed. That's a good form of seed to sow. It's like the period behind Jesus loves you. <laughs> Serious, isn't it? Little word of knowledge, little prophetic thing, little insight, little discernment in their life. The power of God revealed is like a period behind the Jesus loves you. It's really cool. And uh, God seems willing to do it that way because he told his disciples, look here, are you in Matthew 10? God, I worship you. Thank you, have your way. He says in verse seven, as you go preach saying, the kingdom of God is where? It's here. Isn't that amazing? So we said that the other, we said that last week or maybe early this week, I think it was even last week, but remember, don't look here, don't look there. The kingdom is, that's why your identity is important. That's why you gotta stop letting feelings and life and people lie to you and let your identity be found through Christ. Your lifestyle, I was driving here today, I was running a little late. My buddy Todd called, I had just wanted to pick it up. We talked just a little, I said, look, I gotta run, I got school, don't get to talk to him like I used to. And, uh, but I was coming down the road, and you know what hit me real big? He chose me. I got real gushy inside, I feel that way right now, forgive me. But he chose me. He desires me. I'm a pleasure to him. <laughs> he wants to live inside of me. <laughs> and I was just talking out loud as if you were sitting there holding a conversation with me. <laughs> and I was like, you desire to give me the kingdom. You desire to live inside of me. It was your good pleasure to wash me with your blood and make me right in your sight because you love me and you want me. You want me. <laughs> I got real gushy. <laughs> And it's just all right to live that way. <laughs> Amen. That sure beats thinking about a bunch of stuff and especially negative things and worrying and getting in fear and wondering how today's going to go. How about if we just start with he chose me and wants me and lives inside of me and my identity is secure in him. <laughs> it's kind of cool because then if somebody pulls like out in front of you and makes a bad mistake on the road, you're like, oh, God, just bless him. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> 
hey, I pulled out in front of that guy and he waved and smiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you go preach saying what? The kingdom of God is where? Is here. I like, it's near you. See? Okay, Jennifer, stand up with me quick. So Jennifer's walking through the mall and the principle is this. You come up to, to somebody or you pass them by. Where's the kingdom? And you're actually saying to her, hey, how you doing? And what, what the, the, the concept is that God, Jesus wants you to grasp is you're telling Jennifer, hey, the kingdom of God is very near you. Where is the kingdom of God? About two and a half feet away. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty near. It's here. Do you get the principle? Hey, the kingdom of God. Now, we don't talk that way in today's language. The kingdom of God is near you. There's a concept he wants you to grab, but there is a way that you convey that. I do share that with people when they're healed, when you minister to them. But did you see that principle? Why are we telling them the kingdom of God is near? Because it's within reach. That's another phrase. The kingdom of God is what? Did you see that that was true? Where's the kingdom of God? (laughs) The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It's within reach. If it's that close, it probably ought to jump on somebody. It probably ought to just touch somebody. If it's that close, it'd be a shame that it would just sneak by. (laughs) I'm on you now. Come on. It'd be pretty much a shame if it wouldn't just get on somebody. You just rub against or something. (laughs) Right? But you get the concept? The kingdom of God's near. It's at hand. Identity is so important. That's why we camped and camped in identity and might even wrap up there just to seal this thing in the school. I don't know. But what I'm saying is you got to know who you are because of him. Because the kingdom of God's here. Here's the paradox. Whether you believe it or not, it's here. It's, it, in other words, it, the, the spirit of God's inside of us. Whether you realize what that really means or not, he's there. There's people live their whole life and, and they sincerely see their need for a Savior, but they don't believe healings for the day. They don't believe the power of God's for the day. They don't believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something separate that they get it when they receive Christ. They don't believe in tongues. They don't believe in a lot of stuff, but who knows? He's still there. Isn't that amazing? I just... I don't think you want to do this either. I don't think you're in the schools because you want to do this. I don't think you want to stand one day before God and look into his liquid eyes of love and his light and glory and, and come to the knowledge of what was there. I think we probably ought to have a pretty good idea by then. <laughs> so we're not, oh. You mean I was carrying you all the time? Go preach saying the kingdom of God's in reach. It's at hand. It is near. All those work, don't they? They're in all your Bibles, different Bibles. Uh, another one in my Bible right here in the footnotes is has drawn near. Well, see how true that is? The kingdom of God's just drawn near you. Remember David Hogan was here. He shared a testimony when I first heard him preach. And one of the first things I ever heard him preach, how he went into a hut and the lady was paralyzed. Her legs were twisted and curled and for 15 years. And he said, honey, you're in good fortune today for the kingdom of God has come to your house. And she said, Really? Where is it? He said, you're looking at it. (laughs) Now see, that's amazing. That's identity right there. Right? You're looking at it. (laughs) Isn't that good? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I like your haircut, by the way. (laughs) 
I really do. I wanted to say something yesterday, but I didn't say that. But I'm saying it today because you're right in the front. <laughs> Looks good on you. Preach saying, now, now look at the connection. Preach saying the kingdom of God is what? It's here. And then what's right on the heels of that? Why heal the sick? Because it's in the kingdom. Come on, how simple is this? This thing is simple. You say, I came to school for this. This is simple. This is in my Bible. (laughs) Come on. I don't know how we have trouble with this one, the whole healing thing. The only reason we do is because we prayed for people and haven't seen it happen. And then our minds go bonkers. And then we put our value in our intellect and our answers instead of his word. (coughs) Did you have something? Is it a comment? Do you need the mic? Watch as she's bringing the mic up to Anthony. Watch this. Heal the sick. Cleanse what? So if the kingdom's at hand and we're to proclaim it and then heal the sick and cleanse the leper, is it the will of God to heal the sick? Yes. He just told us how, what sick? Did he say some sick? Did he say the sick I divinely lead you to? No. Did he say the sick that highlight in a crowd? No. He said the sick. Yes. Cleanse what? The Lepers with an S on. That means anyone that ever has leprosy. Do you hear this? It's the will of God to heal the leper. The lepers. It doesn't say some lepers. We just better get back to the word on this thing. Raise what dead? Oh my goodness. That's the same command form as heal the sick. So to God, raising the dead is the same as healing the sick and we're still fearing death. We're still thinking God's taking us and he's telling us to raise the dead and we're saying, I don't know why God took them. He receives you. He doesn't take you. (laughs) That means he doesn't go boom. Are you guys following me? Come on, it's right here. Raise what dead? The dead. dead. That doesn't just mean Christian dead. (laughs) It means the dead. What would be more awesome anyway? I mean, it's awesome if God raised anybody from the dead, but we know the person that died in Christ isn't dead. But the person that didn't die in Christ is going to die a second death. They're dead. And not in the sense of unawareness dead, dead in the realm of light and life. Yeah. Somebody came to me. I forget who it was in the class. Who came and asked me if I believe there's a hell? Who came to me a couple weeks ago and asked me that? It's all right. Somebody asked me. I just want to know where you stand on that because I never hear you talk about it. I said, yeah, there's absolutely a hell. (laughs) Because there's apparently a lot of people turn into this, whatever they call it. Hell's not a real place and everybody's. That's not what Jesus taught. So don't get mystified in the last days, okay? (laughs) Yeah, it's just... Now it's on the record, it's on the tape. Yeah, I believe there's a hell. I don't talk about it because the goodness of God leads men to repentance. There's a place every once in a while to mention certain things, but the goodness of God's what saved my life. That's what I talk about. It's what saved my life. God's mercy captivated my heart. That's what I talk about. Amen? Go ahead. I was thinking about, as you were talking about the, the healing, as we've been talking about it, and back, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, because I was involved in different types of work, whether it be drive truck or subcontractor or whatever. 
you have a tendency to smack your hands, smash your finger. Or do right, something. right. And at some point, I just started saying, well, I just pray for that. Mm-hmm. And I started praying every time over whatever part of my body. Man, I like that. Because then you're building yourself in a, right. And, and I would do that. And then throughout the day, it's like, where was that pain at? Where was that, where did, where did I get hurt at? And I couldn't, sometimes I didn't even remember where it was because it was going within a couple of hours. And, and so it's like, God was just reminding me that he was using that in my mm-hmm. life to build Amen. Absolutely. I used to share a lot when I first started preaching on healing and I first got saved and what's going on. And I realized, you know, I'm not against certain things. I'm not against you going to the doctor. You've never, nobody has ever heard me. It's not on tape ever preaching about against going to a doctor. I don't even think that way. It's not even an issue with me. It just, it's a hang up for some folks. So the question gets asked, but I've never spoken negatively. I just always say, have faith in all you do and don't ever take off your faith. Don't do one or the other. But I used to say this, I'd say, man, I I think we've learned how to medicate and how to get rid of pain. I think we so don't want pain that we're so thinking for comfort and ease that we don't want to pay the price sometimes of what it might take to grow in a revelation or have faith. Like some, somebody wakes up with a headache, the first thing we do is grab Advil or Tylenol or ibuprofen because we've done it our whole life and we believe it'll take it away and we're tired. We just grab it right away. Boom, that's what we do. And I tell people, man, I wonder if you'd hold off on that and say, you know what, I've relied on this. I've taken this. This is all I've known, Lord. But you love me, and you put that bottle down, and don't cap the lid. Don't, and, and you seek, and you just thank God and speak over yourself. Lay hands on your head, and just, man. Okay, so you're in that situation. You you walk through your house, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to believe you for this. You love me. I've been, I got used. I got trained to take this just to keep pain away, or the joints, and I take my pills. But what about releasing faith in that place? Now, I'm not saying, you know, it's wrong to take your pill. What I'm saying is we get used to living a certain way and we start, there's no faith in change. In other words, we're just accommodating ourselves. And, and I remember having, I don't, I don't get headaches and pain and stuff. I really don't. You know, people say, well, you're just fortunate. Well, I, I guess you, I would say, yeah, okay. But I know how I live. See, you don't live with me, but I know how I live. And I dress stuff. And I believe he paid an amazing price for me. <laughs> I remember having a headache one time, and I was like, I ain't taking no. In fact, my kids were little. We, I don't even remember having aspirin in the house or a, a, an Advil or an ibuprofen in the house with two kids and a wife for 15 years. Probably. I've, I've, seen, it, I've seen it in, my son seems to take it. I see it in the ca- cabinet now and then. And... Uh, I've seen it in the last year or two in the cabinet. I don't know of any in the house from the time I was saved to about two years ago. Not even an Advil, man. That's cool to me. But uh, I woke up and I remember having a headache one morning. It was just, my head was just hurting and, and I just, I pray about that stuff. It's a neat day when you're walking through the hall and you're believing God and you're praying and it just goes away. Isn't that cool? And, and you say, well, yeah, isn't it? You pop that Advil and it just goes away. I ain't got no pain. But the difference between the two is, one, you're getting to know God more. You're trusting the gospel. You're trusting covenant. And you're growing deeper in love. You follow what I'm saying? 
So if you get in a situation like that, what I'm encouraging you, man, put on faith. And even if you, if you open up a bottle to take something to get rid of pain, don't do it apart from faith. Just God, I'm taking this, man. I've been, you know, standing out here for about 45 minutes just believing and man, it's really hurting. I gotta go to work or I gotta this or that. I'm just gonna take this, but I thank you, you love me. Don't get discouraged. Don't turn it into a method. I hear, here's what I hear people coming out of their mouth. Well, I tried to pray. It didn't work. So I just took the, do you hear the language? Well, I tried to pray. It didn't work. So I just took the, it's real impersonal. It's as if it's a gimmick or a method or a, magic formula or I always used to say Jesus' name is not synonymous to abracadabra we're not looking for a rabbit out of a hat you get it Donna Miss Donna you got something what about when it does go away there's a disease or an infection or something it goes away but it comes back We, we pray again it goes away you know it starts to go away it starts to recover but then it comes back how do you deal with that the same way father you already removed this thing your love for me is sure you have no place in my body there's a place to take authority over the actual thing i've actually only seen that scenario uh strongly in christians and it just seems like there's an attack on the revelation of the word rarely do i find that i pray for somebody on the streets or in public especially if they didn't get saved and then i bump into them later and it was just a good seed in their life you gave them jesus and they got healed and you bump into them hey how you doing man great I haven't had a pain since that day then you sow another seed or you water that seed well man you ought to think about that what's that speak to you man Jesus is really real he loves you and you just dig a little more into their heart you know what I mean but rarely do I find that I go back on the street or bump into somebody we had prayed for there was a time we went into a certain neighborhood repetitiously for uh, once a week for weeks on end and you'd bump into these folks and they were doing absolutely well nothing ever came back I see it happen more with Christians actually and it just shows me that we're in a war that the enemy doesn't ever want you to get a revelation of God's love he doesn't ever want you. So if he owns you in an area, if he had a stronghold in your life physically and you begin to get a breakthrough and all of a sudden he just, he just, he'll let you rejoice and ride the wave of that and tell four friends how healed you are and then bam, just start to poke a little, hoping your soul fails, hoping you go, oh, not, and start loving your own life and feeling sorry, not this again. Here we go again. God, I thought I was healed. You see what I mean? To wear out of your mouth all this like, oh no. Because then you're telling the devil, man, this thing is squeezing me. No, as soon as you start anything like that, absolutely not. You take a strong stand. Your love for me is sure. Thank you, you've already delivered me. Jesus, you paid an amazing price and I am settled. This is not your will, God. In the authority of Jesus' name, get out of my body. I resist you, I don't accept you, bam. And you just, you never back off of that place. If you have a, if you have a diagnosis, say a diabetes Something that every day you have to face the symptoms of. It's important to really grow in what we're talking about right now because that thing will try to wear on you. And I've never been in a, I've never been in a long-term, if you can have the mic, somebody has, I don't know who has the mic. I've never been in a long-term thing. The things I've been in have always been extreme and violent and fast. They've been over fast. They were extremely violent, not to compare them to the long-term because the long-term things psychologically has an effect where it tries to wear you down. Now, you have to be careful that you psychologically don't agree with that and give yourself permission to wear down. You follow what I'm saying? To where you're like, well, you know, you, you have to, sh- sh- truth is still truth. 
I'm, I'm actually, and, and man, you hear me careful when I'm talking here, and don't you hear me in condemnation, anybody. But I've been in around situations where I saw wrong thinking, wrong believing, and wrong confessions, wrong understanding could take a two-week scenario, turn it into two months, and maybe two years. You follow what I'm saying? Because of a wrong view. In other words, you, you, you don't understand it's not the will of God. Uh, you might grab a hold of a little complaining right in the beginning. You might just be struggling the whole time, striving. Just, just, just quoting the word, but discouraged in your heart. Why isn't this working? Well, here we go again. I'll try it again. Next thing you know, two months later, you're even more deeply rooted in that than two weeks into it. Two years goes by, that thing got a stronghold on your soul. Totally, because you're, 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 cause now it's two years, not two months. And I wonder if two years turns into 10 years. You see how things can happen like that? It's in all our getting, get understanding. So you gotta be real careful. Long-term stuff has a whole different thing. Some people, would crash in a, in a violent... I, when I went through the, the, some of the witchcraft stuff that I knew was witchcraft, the Lord showed me it was, and, well, it's not too hard to... No, it's witchcraft if there's a demonic spirit in your bedroom. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty giveaway. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that kind of stuff right there would, would freak a lot of people out. When I got through that in the Holy Ghost, I cried on my bed for an hour and a half. I don't share it a lot because it sounds proud or presumptuous, but honestly, it was so extreme, so radical, so scheme oriented it was so crafty I mean I had demons talking trying to sound like God it was just crazy they were right at the same time demons talking to my wife trying to sound like the Holy Spirit saying totally contrary things totally contrary things talking to me real sweet like a friend talking to my wife with frustration almost Getting her to, trying to prey on fear, on her mother, husband, or wife, mother fear. Because I knew it was demonic, so I, I did shut down and refuse to go anywhere. I'm, I thought, I'm going to walk this out. If it kills me, it kills me. I just don't think it's going to. We're going to win. I'm going to walk this out and have a greater revelation when I come through it. No matter what it costs me, it doesn't matter. Jesus carried the cross, got beat beyond description. So it's not about the pain I'm in. It's about winning with revelation and coming through this thing knowing God more. See, you don't love your own life unto death. So I knew it was witchcraft, so I canceled the whole 911 thing. That wasn't even an option because I knew it was witchcraft. I knew it was a demonic spirit. So there's no best friend in the world that could have told me, well, brother, you just need to, but that's the end result. That's what this devil was telling me. Brother, you're, you're such a good believer, man. You, you need to, you need, well, it didn't call me brother. <laughs> but it said, listen, you're such a good believer. You are so standing. You are so this. You don't deserve this kind of pain. And you, it's not wrong if you just go da, 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 da. And I agreed with everything it was saying, but it was a different situation. I knew it was a demonic spirit. My wife was hearing at the same exact time. You know, your husband's such a hardhead. He's going to lay and die in front of you and the kids never get help. Now you imagine a wife sitting there with two small kids sitting there crying. They're all three crying, watching me look like I'm dying. And she's here and your husband is so hard-headed. He's so stubborn. Well, I am stubborn if you're the devil. (laughs) Yes, I am. 
<laughs> but God doesn't see me as stubborn. He sees me as a warrior. <laughs> it's a different word. <laughs> he sees me as no compromise. Isn't it amazing how crafty he is? So he's here trying to play on my emotion, play on her emotion, try to get us in whatever. But when I, that, that whole situation was over, I don't have time to go into detail with that. I don't think it's relevant for this morning. But I laid on my bed and cried and couldn't stop crying for about an hour to an hour and a half. And you know why I was crying? Because I felt like we as a church aren't ready for that kind of warfare because we're soft and we love ourselves and don't understand why we're Christians. And pain bothers us. And I have my eyes on Jesus and he went through, he went through seemingly hell when I look at Jesus. So what if a demon spirit's trying to take me out right now? So what? I'll never die. I'm in. I'm held by the hand of God. So what if I'm going through something? In that situation, my daughter cried, not because I was hurting. I thought she was crying because I'm hurting. And I looked back at her at the doorway of the bed. I was crawling up the stairs like a slug. And I had just said goodnight to her and she was crying and she ran to me. I said, honey, don't you get yourself upset. It's okay, daddy's fine, he'll be fine. She said, I'm not crying because of that. She was crying because she saw that I never change and that I couldn't get, feel sorry for myself. She, she, she was crying because she knew if she was in my shoes, she'd be a mess. And it was convicting her. She sat in bald and said, Dad, you never change. No matter what you're going through, you never change. And I don't understand. She was bawling. She was only, you know, young. She was bawling. Yeah, it is a praise God. It's a good testimony. Why should I change? Does God change? Didn't I give up my life? Didn't I die to myself? So why would I love myself now just because there's a demon poking at me? Why would I go, God, stop him? But it hurts. Come on, I'm being real. I get you, Shane. Go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, there was a time when I used to have a lot of back pain. It just all of a sudden, just have a lot of real severe. I'd be somewhere. The back pain was so intense, I would just fall to the floor. I mean, it was just, it would take me out. Right. And some of those times I'd go to the chiropractor and stuff. But then a few years later, it was, I was doing everything I knew to do. But it just, it was like what you're talking about. It was just constantly always there. Right. And it would intensify at times. It would reduce. But I was taking, just to sell it to work sometimes. I had to take something because even if I prayed, it didn't go. And it got so bad. I was going through something. Going through, uh, there was a program I had got hooked up with. A guy that uh, works, he walks in love. He, he actually, he is a mentor. I found out that he was telling me that Lance Walnut considers him his mentor. And um, then he told Jenny and I when we were doing some ministry with him that you're living what he's teaching, which kind of blew my mind. But okay, back we was going through that, and at one point the back pain got so intensified, it like multiplied, really strong. But that morning, God gave me revelation of some things. And within instance, all the pain left. And I have not had that pain since, right. since like 2006. Right. See, here's the thing. When you hear testimony like that, here, I'll take that. Uh, when it gets that 
intense. And, and when it gets to that level, you've got to understand you're, you're facing, it's, it's a make me or break me kind of scenario. What most people do is they fold to weakness. They love their own life. They're like, well, yeah, but why am I going through this? But Jesus paid the price. Well, why doesn't God heal me? And all their responses have to do with them just getting free and getting blessed has nothing to do with integrity selflessness honor of the gospel and love not your own life we're not sending that message to the enemy usually with the things we say we just want healed aloha <laughs> bless you man so uh we're not sending that 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 message to the enemy we're actually sending when you touch me it hurts and i'm tired of going through this and how come i'm going through this and you know what I'm saying? And, and, and see, in this situation that I went through, you say, well, Dan, but if you understand righteousness, etc., Satan comes to mess with your faith. He doesn't want you ever established in faith. He doesn't ever want the consummation of faith. Did we look at 1 Peter? We had to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 in this school where it talks about going, if need be, going through trials. Yeah. I think it's Shane. It, we might have to look at that again. Are you okay if we repeat something just for the sake of nailing it down? I mean, yeah. Well, did you have a comment, question? Yeah. Comment? Yeah. Um, uh, when, when, when you were talking and you, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, you were crying for an hour and a half. Because, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it, just, it just burdened you so much that uh, we aren't ready for that kind. Here's of what was coming out of my heart, just to clarify so right. you know. I was laying there crying, saying out loud, God... Help us prepare for battle. I don't know if we're prepared for warfare. I don't know if we understand this kind of warfare. If something does slip through, if something does get a hold of us, our response. And I was just weeping because I was pastoring, realizing there was a lot of way smaller scaled things in our lives that had people discouraged and almost backslidden. Mm -hmm. And it was really concerning me. Go ahead. Well, uh... This is, just, uh, this is just something that the Holy Spirit gave me a, a cool thought uh, a few weeks back. And we were just here in worship, and, and we were in worship and stuff. And, and I was just thinking over, you know, just truth and, and everything. And I was thinking about a lot of the American church system, how things have kind of uh, formed, you know, what is church and how does uh, America and, and the world even see church in America and such. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the buildings. I was thinking about all the stuff and just, you know, just kind of mowing it over kind of take it before the Holy Spirit, like, you know, what is church in a sense, and just asking all this stuff. Well, it was cool, because the Holy Spirit just gave me this thought, and he said, Shane, comfort is more distracting than discomfort. And the interesting thought behind that is, is we feel like before we can get in a place with God, or before we can get into a place of, uh, you know, uh, finding communion with Him, you know, we need to make sure, you know, there's nothing distracting going around, you know, we have to... Uh, you know, we need to make sure that the air's on, it's proper, because if it's, you know, too right. hot in here, people aren't going to be able to focus, or, you know, all this stuff. And we have all these things that we, we give to our vessel. And right. by, by, by needing our vessel to be in a certain place of, of comfort or, or, or situation, we have to be there before our spirit can listen, or before our spirit can be alive or something. It was actually funny that he said, comfort distracts more than discomfort. Because we always think that discomfort distracts us from, oh, you know, hearing right. God, or it'll distract us from finding communion with Him or fellowship with others, you know. So we have to do all these things to prevent the distraction. But actually, in focusing on the comfort, by seeking the comfort, 
versus seeking the communion. Right. By seeking the comfort, Absolutely. that distracts us more than, Absolutely. than anything else. Well said. Uh, the f- little talk we had on fasting, not a popular conversation. Why? Because of comfort and discomfort. Because we're seeking comfort in, in many ways, in many areas. Here's the other paradox to what Shane's sharing, because it's very clear. If that's what's motivating your life, you make it real easy for the enemy to just disrupt your comfort. And as long as he does, you're in trouble and your ducks aren't in a row, so you can't be okay. The air conditioner isn't working, so we better... You know, so it's yeah. funny you were yeah. saying that, because I was just thinking of that after the class yesterday. I was driving, and I had to run out of here and head somewhere. I had to drive pretty far and be somewhere at a certain time. That's why I bolted. But I was driving, and I'm thinking, Lord, you know, we are very pampered people. I was thinking we go from forced heat to forced air to the regulation of temperature to the point that if it's not that way, people aren't okay. And I'm thinking we got ourselves set up, really set up. I was thinking of, uh, we'd go over, I don't know, who, whoever went over, you went to Fritztown Fire Hall with us a bunch. Who else? Trish was over there, Fritztown. In the, there's, there was a fire hall, there was, there was uh, it was so hot in the summer, it was ridiculous. It was packed that we were passing the code for the fire. We were like, it was 100, we had like up to 110 people. In the summer on these 90 degree days, it was a fire hall. It was just a fire hall with no air or nothing. And people would pack the place. And you would walk in there and just start sweating like, you were like a baked potato, man. I mean, you just needed buttered by the end of the service. Just, it was like, I would be preaching and my shirt was just wet. And, and I used to think, and it was neat. And you say, well, because God was there, etc. Well, there was a truth there, but I'm, I'm not sure how that works. That, that's, that's yesterday, all that was running through my mind. And about how pampered we are. And I actually, then I ended up taking a jog. So there I was running in the middle of the day. It was two o'clock. I was out running. And uh, it was pretty hot. But I was running through the woods. It was fun. But I was thinking about that. I was going up this one hill. And I was thinking about, you know, because you, you, you tend to get a little analytical with certain things. I'm like, did the people show up and disregard the heat? And then God came even more. Did God come? And that's why the people didn't care about the heat. Did it? And I was like, how does that all work? And I'm thinking, I don't know, but I know this. A hundred some people gathered knowing what they were coming to and it didn't seem to matter. And there's something sweet about that. Because I tell you what, if we knew ahead of time the air conditioner was broke at church on a Sunday, we'd probably just be a TV Christian that weekend and keep the air pumped and chill. <laughs> Hey, I'm not under the law, brother. I'm just going to chill here. I can just, I catch this program or whatever. But it's just funny because we are. And what Shane's saying is true. We're a pampered people. And uh, it's a paradox because if all the enemy has to do is put you in discomfort and wreck you and you don't have a deeper revelation, you're probably in trouble. How's that for plain talk? When I got that witchcraft thing going, I cannot afford, I cannot afford even a sentence to believe even a sentence of this in my heart. God, why are you letting this happen to me? God, when is this going to end? Isn't that the way people talk in a trial? I'm just waiting, brother. I don't know when God's going to move, but I hope it's soon. I'm just in faith, brother. Any time is good enough for me. And what you're saying is, I'm really struggling, I don't like this, and where are you, God? And 
You, you, you have to make so nothing of what you're going through. Why? Because of what Jesus went through. He, I, that doesn't ent- entitle me to suffering. I'm not giving him a cheap shot saying, well, Jesus went through the cross so I can suffer with sickness. No, what I'm saying is I'm not going to balk at the pain I'm in when I look at Jesus. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to love my own life. I don't know how else to convey that to you guys. I don't know if I'm doing a good job teaching this one out. But what else does it mean to not love your own life? In the face of a trial, you're not taking your trial personal to the point where it subverts your faith and gets you to turn inward. So, so let me ask you this. When I was in that witchcraft, is, is it about the pain I'm going through and the way that this demon thing was seemingly ravaging my flesh? Is that what it's all about right now? Or is it about standing in Christ and being a diligent soldier and standing militantly in truth and trusting his great love and not questioning a thing about God because it's already established in my heart and knowing the devil is subject to be crushed by the gospel? What's more important? I would tend to say our focus is usually how we're feeling and what we're going through. Not who Jesus is in the midst of it all. How else could Paul... Be content in anything he's in. Because when he's lacking, you need to get more faith, brother. If you had faith, you wouldn't be lacking. God's the provider. I've never seen the children of Israel beg for bread. Why don't you have bread? Paul said, I'm content in any situation. I mean, godliness with contentment's great gain. I know how to be hungry, and I know how to be filled. I know how to have plenty, and I know how to do it when I don't have enough. Nothing changes who God is in me. Isn't that cool? Now, I had a bunch of hands going up. Who, who had their hands? I, I, I saw, yo, you got the mic already. I knew I saw one back there somewhere. I didn't know if there was another one. Um, Dan, I just wanted to comment. You're, you're talking about witchcraft, and I know there's a lot of things out there that are qualified as witchcraft. Right. And I know you're not getting specific, but... Um, uh, could you expand on that? Just well, I'm just let me just say, I, I, yeah, I didn't really want to get into that uh, whole topic. No, I don't, your question's fine. Uh, who knows that sometimes there's? I, I honestly believe all, all sickness is rooted in the fall of man. I'm just for the record. I, I believe all sickness is, is rooted in the fall of man, and I believe the source of it is certainly not God. Uh, if I fall down a stair and break my leg, I don't believe that's, quote, demonic. It's an accident, it's injury. You tear something in your body, you just get, uh, I, I believe there's some things that have the, the smell of uh, rooted in infirmity and spirit-induced all over it, certain diseases and sicknesses. This one was just obviously demonic it was it was coming through assignments there was witches there was stuff going on at the time so the lord showed me he actually used the word voodoo in my prayer time and uh that shouldn't freak us out it's just it's this witchcraft witchcraft it's not a big deal but that's the word he used uh when i know something is demonically rooted like that i have no you you you'll you'll not Breaking your leg is one thing. I'm still in a place believing God's going to mend my bone. It's pretty, I'm a pretty hard guy to get to a doctor. I'm just being honest. I'm not against doctors. I'm just all about faith, and I want to see Jesus so much that I just stand as long as I can stand, even if I feel like I'm going to die. It's just me. I'm just not telling you to do that. But in other words, I would have an easier time going to a doctor 
If I fell down a stair and broke my leg and let them mend it or set it and believe in God will cause it to restore and be okay versus something that I felt a demonic presence, got threatened by a demonic voice and then the sickness showed up or something. That's what happened with the witchcraft thing. Just so you understand. An evil presence came into my bedroom, made itself very known. Didn't scare me at all. It was so cool when it came in my room. Guess what happened? I was so aware how born again I was. It was so fun. (laughs) When it was standing there, I was like, I am so saved. I am so not what that thing is. It was so dirty and so bleh, and I am just clean and righteous. And I was like, yay, I'm born again. So it wasn't like, oh my God, a devil. (sighs) Okay. So when you tie witchcraft into the demonic coming at you, um, I'm just thinking like when I I think of witchcraft, I think of the devil working through people to do certain things, whether they're like... Well, it was people, it was people, uh, uh, you know what voodoo is, Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, they, they take a target and they begin to curse and do certain things. And, and I'm like, and there was somebody coming to services that was involved in that kind of thing in the community. So there was a lot of fear starting to generate. And some people said, do you know? And they were coming on Sunday nights, sitting in the back. Do you know that that, who that is? Do you know what they do? Do you know? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. What, what, man, I'm glad they're here. They can hear the gospel. And, and there was some fear generated. And isn't it funny? I'm here to, trying to tone down the fear and somehow don't have answers for this. It's irrelevant to me. It doesn't even matter. Somehow this stuff had the ability to touch me. Now you can, you can get all caught up in the theology of that and say, well, it shouldn't have been able to touch you, brother. You should be in the bubble of God. You should be da, 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 da. I would like that. I didn't do anything that I know. I can't be backing up wondering what door I opened. Now that it's come, I need to fight, not introspect. I'm not condemned man. I'm a loved man. And what we do 99.999% of the time is introspect. And we don't even fight. So what I'm talking about is people, curse stuff, targeting releasing demonic spirits, stuff like that. They were doing whatever they do. God help them, right? When that thing, when that thing left me know that it was rooted in the demonic, that it was an absolute, in fact, it spoke to me in the bedroom. It said, I've come to put sickness in your leg and you will lose your leg. That's what I heard. Now the fight's on because now I know its source, I know where it's coming from, and I know Jesus is Lord. So that's why you're not even, you're not even, you're not even going to get me to think 911. You see what I mean? Because I understand it's straight up demonic. It's not just whatever. So that's what I'm talking about, just so you understand. Because I'm not against doctors at all. At all. So can I afford... Can I afford to love my own life in that situation? If I look to what I'm going through, if I wake up in the morning like I did and I have zero use of my, my leg, zero. I have zero in the morning, zero use of my leg. Now I sat there as bold as could be. I wasn't one bit afraid of that demonic presence. The spirit of God in me was, was very prevalent. It was awesome. 
when he left my room and I went to sleep, I'm like, you know, devils. Went to bed, woke up, had no use of my leg. That's where you find out what you really believe. Because it's not a method, it's not a declaration. It's a place you live from. Because what would happen in a lot of cases when you say the right thing the night before and wake up and have the wrong expression? So you wake up and your leg is totally useless. It's like it's not even there, but it's there. You think about the many responses that people have. Oh my God, how could this still, how can it touch me? What did I, I said it couldn't. Listen, how come it could? God, why aren't you protecting me? Where, what did I do? God, how come I'm going through this? What are you trying to teach? And the list goes on and on of how we respond. You say, how'd you respond? I just stood up and smiled like every other morning. Drugged my leg out of bed, flopped it on the floor, and I stood on one leg. Father, I honor you and worship you and thank you. Nothing changes who you are and who you are in me. And I honor you. You are greater. <sighs> Drug myself to the bathroom. The reason I say it was demonic and witchcraft is because I got in the bathroom and that same presence came into my bathroom. I don't like that. I wish it would never come to my bathroom. I don't, still don't know how it could just show up in my bathroom and seem as arrogant as it did. <laughs> You're tempted to feel like a man feels towards a man he doesn't like growing up outside of Jesus. You just want to punch the thing. Because <laughs> it's in my bathroom. You can't see it. You can feel it. I, I got real lightheaded. I felt like I was going to pass out in the bathroom. And I heard this voice say, hmm, maybe I'll give you a stroke instead. That's exactly what I heard. And I have all the feelings of passing out. I got like crazy feelings like I've never felt. And I sat on the bathtub and I said, Lord, I have no clue, just pleaded ignorant. I have no clue what's going on, but I'm not afraid. And I know you're Lord and I am done talking to this devil. I ain't hold no conversation with it. You are Lord and I thank you for loving me. And that's all I know. My wife found me at the doorway with my head against the wall. She said I was thin looking in my face, white. She said I looked like I was dead. And I'm just leaning there. She said, I looked like I was dead and I looked like I was passed out. She came into the bathroom and I'm leaning there at the door. She couldn't get in. She said, I'm just leaning this way with my forehead against the wall and I'm out cold. And she said, I don't even remember this. She said, she said, honey, honey, are you okay? She said, I smiled. (laughs) Good thing. She said, I smiled and said, oh, honey, I'm fine. See, it's just drilled in me. Very, you have no idea how militant I am in my heart. Like, I really believe I don't love my own life. I really do believe I'm not afraid. Because I've been through a few things that taught me that. I feel really humbled right now and just thankful. Because it's why we win. God gives grace to the humble and the fearless. She said, I smiled and said, oh yeah, I'm fine, honey. She said, well, what's wrong? And, and I said, oh, it's just the devil. You know he's a liar. You know Jesus is Lord. It's like she said, I was just preaching the gospel. <laughs> she said, well, let me help you to the couch. And when she helped me to the couch, I couldn't walk. She says, there's something wrong with your leg. 
Oh, it's just another one of those lies, Kimmy. And then I remember getting to the couch because the Spirit of God came on me. It was a pretty neat experience, but my legs stayed dead for 11 days. I don't want to make a theology out of this, but on the 11th morning, it, the chain broke off of me. I read in Revelations, Satan's coming to throw some of you in prison as many as 10 days. Stay steadfast in the faith. Don't be moved. <laughs> I don't want to give permission for sickness in my life ever, but what I'm saying is there's a principle there that you can embrace. Because you know what? Two days has a certain voice in your soul. Four days, when you're standing, when you believe you're doing everything, four days has a certain temptation. Six days, eight days, 10 days. There's a certain, you face certain temptations here and you hear a lot of things and friends say stuff they probably don't think before they say and follow me and the whole 11 days is a trial in the sense of there's there's stuff that satan is just trying to exploit weaknesses get you to feed into you know your mind works one way on the first day stand about the third day fifth day seventh day you're you're subject to a whole lot of things if you're not locked and established Wonder if the 11th day is no different than the first. Wonder if. Are you all following me? Yes. Come on, it's called loving not your own life. We had a couple other hands though. Hang on, Jenny. We, we, who else did we, did, it, did, I, did I respond okay? Did it, I, you didn't really ask, well, yeah, because I was talking real general. Right. I've seen this, like spirits of infirmity. You know, spirit of infirmity. This woman's bound by spirit of infirmity. Let her go. Come out. Pray for people. See pain move. Whoever saw pain move. You, pain be up here and all of a sudden it just go down to here. It just, it's just, it's, we have this phrase, you move, you lose. You know, it's exposed that it's a demonic spirit that's assigned there to bring affliction. Versus just an impaired part of the body or an injured. I have seen spirits of infirmity attached to people that had injury through car accidents and stuff. And were told, you're going to be this. You're always going to be this. I have actually perceived spirits of infirmity that attach to the knowledge of certain injuries. To just seal their fate. Because they're hidden there. They're like a little hidden rabbit in the grass. They just, because the person's body might not be as bad as it was said, but the whole time they're feeling this way, it's because they were in the accident in 79. And now in 99 or 2009, they're expecting to be this way because that's what it said. And this thing's there and it's just tweaking and and it attaches. I've seen infirmities attached to natural knowledge of injuries and stuff and car wrecks and things like that to just assure that it's as bad as it can be or it never gets better. Because who knows, people can heal, change, be not as bad as they thought. But I have perceived infirmities actually attach to injuries. Now that's a perception thing. That's, and, you, and you just tell them to leave. You cast them out. You leave the body in Jesus' name. I've had them move. I've had them shift. And people that had car accidents and were assuming they were the way they were because what do you expect, man? I was really thrown around 20 years ago in the car. And when they speak those things, they're, they're 
cementing it. They're allowing that spirit on them. Well, absolutely. You're letting, what you're doing, guys, is you're letting natural knowledge trump the gospel. See, it's not that we're denying the natural side. It's, we're not in denial. We're not like, you know, uh, you know, Christians have misrepresented in a hi-ho way. Like they go into hospitals to pray for the sick and, well, we don't need the arm of the flesh. We need the spirit of God. And then the person dies and we look like kooks. I'm just being real. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's about love. It's about mercy. And we're not against the doctors. I, I remember going into the hospital and, 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 and I was so fascinated by, there was an 18-year-old girl I didn't even know. She wasn't even saved. Her friend who was backslidden called me and said, could you go pray for my friend? And I said, you know, it'd be awesome if you could pray for your friend. And she started crying. She didn't have the conscience to because of her life. She grayed herself out. Now her friend needs Jesus. And isn't it amazing? I know I got a lot of hands. You guys have to be gracious with me for a minute. Uh, isn't it amazing that people live consciously backslidden when their best friend's in trouble, they're still wanting to grab a hold of God and they're calling somebody that they believe has a confidence in God because their confidence is shocked because they got their life trashed. Man, don't ever anybody do that to themselves. Because now her best friend's in there and her kidneys have totally shut down. And they're talking about dialysis, permanent dialysis, complete full dialysis for the rest of her life, and she's 18. And I went into the hospital. I was fascinated by the dialysis machine. I was just fascinated. I'm like, certain things just impressed me. And I was like, whoa. Because they got, it's just, it's like this big filter. It's like this big metal filter system for this girl's body. And the guy's in there and I'm, and I'm really asking him. He said, you're really fascinated by this thing. I said, it's just technology. It's just ridiculous that the technology is just, it's crazy. And I'm like, so this, oh yeah, this is, and he showed me how it's going and going back. And like, you know, you go to give your double red cells at the Red Cross. Who gives blood here? I give blood all the time. I figure somebody get my blood. I figure they could be, they could be unsaved on the gurney and they're going to give them my blood and they're going to wake up and say, Jesus, <laughs> just because they got some of my blood. <laughs> I'm giving somebody my blood. I give my blood every eight weeks. I say, take it here. I just still, I just got the little red dot. I got the old Red Cross scar going now because I've been giving for years. And I got, well, I got this big old vein too. They say, what hand do you want to use? I say, the right. And they don't even make me squeeze. They look at the vein and say, oh, we're fine, honey. Because it's a big old vein there. I say, yeah, it's good. I wasn't a drug user. I could have done it easy. <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> I'm there. The, the Red Cross, they take, they, they, they take out your blood. It goes in this big machine. And it pulls out the red blood cells and puts the plasma back in your body. And you watch it happening. And it's just fascinating to me that they can do that. The reason you do that, it's called double reds. They said that it'll go to a newborn baby or an infant child in surgery within two days after it's approved. And I thought, that's a good thing. Now, you see how passionate I am about the gospel and Jesus and the power of God, right? But I am totally into giving my double red cells to an infant baby somewhere to get blood in them and keep them alive. So who sees I'm not against medical science? Because I can't, I, I, I mark my calendar when I'm due to give blood. And I go give my blood. You follow me? But I was in the hospital and this, this man and I'm there and I said to this fella, I said, 
this is amazing. And he said, yeah, it is something. And I said, wow. And he said, yeah, but this young girl, and she's really out of it right now. I don't, she's not really conscious. She's going, she's got this disease, this infection, and, and it's really took out her kidneys, and they've been off long enough now. They, they, don't, they don't see them coming back on. That's the problem. I said, really? He said, yeah, who? And I said, man, I just appreciate what you do and helping her. And he said, well, who are you? Why are you here? You're not family, huh? No, no, no. I said, actually, I'm a minister. I, I was asked to come pray for her, and I don't even know her, but so would I be in the way? Could I? And he's like, oh, no, that's okay. So I go over to her, and she had little little bangs, you know, and, 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 on her, and the reason I'm saying that is because I, I, just, I just took my finger, crossed her bangs, and just kind of touched her forehead real light, and I said, hey, you, and I spoke her name. I told her who I was, and she's laying there like she can't hear me. And when I mentioned her best friend's names, your best friend so-and-so called me, I could see emotion come on her face. She could hear me. She was so weak, so in fact, she just she couldn't really respond. And I saw her get emotional like she wanted to cry. I said, wow, you really love her, huh? I said, well, she loves you too. I said, you know what? I said, she called me and asked me if I'd come pray for you. I said, listen, I'll tell you who really loves you. His name is Jesus. And I spoke to her about the love of God and Jesus and what I'm going to believe for her right now. And I said, honey, I really believe you're going to be okay. And I rubbed her hair back off her forehead again and put my hand right on her forehead and I prayed real gentle. And it was just one of them sweet moments where the whole room was like just perfumed with God. It was just one, oh, I feel it now. It's just fun. And uh, I turned and the man standing there and I said, I'm going to slip out. Thank you so much for what you do. And he looked at me. He's crying. He took my hand and he said, sir, thank you for what you do. He said, I see we're fighting the same battle. That's what he said. And I said, oh yeah. I said, and this thing just amazed me. Thanks for taking time. I was like a little kid and asked you a million questions. See, now I get paid back in the school. See how it And uh, we hugged. I left. I got a phone call that afternoon that her kidneys were working. They kicked on. Hour and a half after I left the hospital, hour. Kicked on. Two days later, they were running fine. For 48 hours, they were discharging the girl. It's the gospel. But I was fascinated with that. Honored him. I didn't walk in there and say, we don't need this machine. Praise God. Bless God. Because the kingdom of God in me is greater. We don't need the arm of flesh. Ah." someone and they and he chose to start speaking about the illness and I said focus on God and focus on when someone is repeatedly speaking words um, over themselves over the situation and and I understand from what you said you know it's our faith Mm -hmm. that that touches their life yeah but there's a place to pull people into accountability and try to show them what they're doing you don't want to leave them wide open train wreck doors open in their life you know what I mean so the love of God wants to impart understanding I honestly don't believe you have to change that first let's get them help let's give them the kingdom get access to their heart some people are so overwhelmed by the sickness and they've talked themselves right into it and they've even been the, the, the responsibility of the stronghold but a lot of times it's in ignorance they don't know any better God's mercy is way greater than all that the key is that you don't let any of that change your faith the love of God for the person and the will of God to restore them 
bam, you give them the kingdom and then minister to their mind or words. I, I spend more time than anyone in this room realizes just working with people behind the scenes to think right, to speak right, to, to live with the right view. The 90 some percent of my time with people is bringing them, trying to bring them on page to walk with truth. You follow? I, went, I was away yesterday from a little window of time. I had 11 phone calls on my machine. And most of it is people asking for insight, for help. I don't get wearied by it. Sometimes I can't handle it all. I don't get wearied by it because I understand if they're calling me, they want a clear perspective. They're asking for help. Do you see what I'm saying? 90 some percent of my counsel and ministry isn't even praying for the sick. It's trying to instruct people to think right and live right and look through a clear eye. Because if my eye's single, guess what? My whole body's what? Flooded with light. Now, we had some backup on, backlog on questions. Who were right here? I do have a bunch of people waiting, don't I? My question is, um, like, I see people, and when they're praying for people, they tell them that, you know, you were healed 2,000 years ago, and to deny the problem, rather than actually having compassion, understanding, praying for them, Right. Do you hear what Trisha said? There is a truth, though, to what they're saying. You have to be careful you're not giving people methods and you're not being harsh with people. You don't want to Bible thump people. Here, I'll take that. You don't want to, uh, you know, well, hey, brother, you were healed. You were already healed. The Bible says you were healed. And now you're just quoting scripture at them. You really have no compassion for them, no understanding of what they're going through. And you're just giving them the word, you know. Just give you the word, brother. <laughs> you have to be, you know, you, you got to be responsible for your own heart and be a steward of love. Amen. But there is a truth that the price to be healed was already accomplished and paid for. I believe that wholeheartedly. When Jesus applied his blood in the holy heavenly tabernacle, not made with hands, but in the heavens, man, I'm in. Uh, yeah. That means something to me. He's at the right hand of God, mediating, speaking on my behalf through his sacrifice, through his blood, through his resurrection, justifying my life, causing me to live by grace. So that means something to me. So the fact that he paid the price 2,000 years ago is huge. Uh, I, I don't think it's denial. It can be denial. It can, it can, it can get weird. We, we've taken it to the extreme. And you can take anything we're preaching to the extreme. Uh, it's... it's you, what, what I think people are trying to hopefully imply is, listen, you were already healed. It's God's will to heal you. You were already healed in the sense of the pride. Now I hear people say, hey, I know I'm already healed, brother. I know I'm already healed. You know, I'm just waiting for it to happen, but I know I'm healed. They've been taught that. Uh, that causes problems when you try to pray for the sick because they don't want to tell you what they're going through because they're already healed. <laughs> Jesus said, is any among you sick? Let him ask for prayer. So, so there's just some paradoxes there. I wouldn't get hung up on it and be careful not to just be legalistic and just preach theory to people. Uh, here's, here's what I say. Well, right. I would never. I would never tell anybody that. You, you just. You need to be sensitive. I need to leave, release people to place. But even if I'm not seeing the change in an area, who knows? I'm not going to cop out and just say, "Well, brother, take heart. Just go home. You're already healed." And I, I've heard people say that to people. I heard people tell me they were told that. Well, it's you know, guys know me by now. It's relationship this way. It's not a technique. It's not just a doctrine. 
It's a relationship of love. So if you're not seeing change, you're walking in a place of trusting God. Your love for me is already sealed because Jesus died on the cross. The fact that this hasn't moved and left my body has no reflection on whether you love me or not. You love me because Jesus came. And Father, I receive your grace and strength into my life right now. And Father, I thank you that the price was paid for my restoration. And God, you love me so much. It's amazing. Body, you be healed. You come into alignment and you crawl in bed that night, believing God for the grace that's working in you, waking up, believing. You see what I mean? When does that change? So it's an active relationship. It's not just a confession. Martha and I had this talk yesterday. I'm not big on just confession. You can... I'm big on believing because the Bible is. It doesn't even use the word confession in any of those unlimited promises I gave you yesterday. The word believe is in every one of them. Now watch. It's impossible to have belief without a healthy confession, but you can have a confession without belief. And some people teach the more you confess, you'll finally believe. I'm just not a proponent of that. I don't teach that. I teach, look at the gospel, look at Jesus, look at the finished work. Trust grace is, is rising faith in your heart and you begin to give yourself to the fact that he loves you, etc. Faith works through love. He paid the price for me, he's so for me. And let belief rise up in your heart because out of your heart you're... We got a lot of people trying to say the right thing and walking on eggshells to say the right thing because they're believing all the wrong things. So they're scared of what's coming out of their mouth because about any moment something they really believe could slip out. <laughs> it's just strange. <laughs> I hope that made sense to you. I gotta watch what I say, brother. No, just get belief in your heart and then what you say will be in agreement. <laughs> this thing isn't hard. We've made it so crazy difficult. <laughs> and we're trying to say the right things. No, let's just get a healthy belief system. Let's understand the will of God in the face of our experience. Look, if I'm going through that crazy violent stuff that happened to me, whether it, that, don't get hung up on the phrase witchcraft, just, just physical trials, okay? And it was violent and extreme and more pain than I couldn't even describe the pain, I promise. That time I told you about that kidney stone last week and I thought that thing hurt. This stuff, I didn't think your human body could be in pain like I was in pain when this stuff happened to me. There's no words that could describe it. When my wife and kids came home, they found me staggering through the room, falling into things, holding on to the railing, singing as the deer panted for the water, and it made them cry. I was going, watch what I was doing. As the deer panted water. That's, well, that was my song. It wasn't as the deer. It was just trying to come out through the pain. And they surrounded me and prayed and were praying in tongues and crying. And I'm like, and I got this, see, it's not works. I got this prophetic idea. I turned Mr. Prophet. And I thought, hey, I'm so weak and so inundated, I can't even raise my hands and worship God right now. This arm is so in pain, there's so much pain shooting through my body. My wife, who never talks about getting visions, 
said, I don't know why I keep seeing this, but I see it almost looks like the jaws of an alligator clamped on your hand. And I said, well, that's because it's demonic. Uh, we're not going to the hospital. I need you to know it's demonic and we're going to break this thing off. It's, we're going to win because Jesus loves me. And I said, here's what we're going to do, kids. And I had them lift my hand because I couldn't move it. I, I can't even explain it. I was in more pain than you can possibly put into words. <laughs> And I thought there's no way it could hurt worse. And I got my kids. Now, my kids were probably 12 and 7. And I got my kids to lift my hand up over my head. You know what I was thinking, don't you? Moses in the battle. And as long as he held his hands up, Israel was winning, right? So Aaron and Hur came because his hands got heavy. And they held him up. So I'm thinking... Prophetic baby, get them hands up in the air, right? (laughs) Here's my 12 and 7. You have no idea. If this was on video, almost every one of you in this room would be totally freaked out. At the intensity, the warfare, the not love your own life, and even your young kids right in the middle of the fight. Because I said, kids, I need you to do something for me. What, Daddy, what? They're, I mean, they, they, you, you could not even be thinking Jesus and see your loved one in that situation and you're ready to pray. Now, my kids were 12 and 7 and, and they were thinking Jesus when they were 12 and 7 for sure because we were just, at that age, I used to take them out into the woods. We just set up a blanket and worship Jesus right out in the middle of the woods. Crank up the tape player. We just, ah, it was just fun. So I get them to lift, I said, lift my hand up over my head. Just lift my hand. You have no idea, guys. They would move my hand two, three inches, and I would scream as loud as a man could scream from the pain. Now, some of you put yourself, think about it. Some of you, it's not too long ago, you were 12. You, you think, you know, serious. I see Randy's girls here. You think of daddy in that much pain, and you girls are little, and he's telling you lifted hand, and, as, and you hear you two girls are pulling his hand, and daddy's turning his head going, I see Joe, Joe's girls here. Just imagine that. Pretty intense, huh? Daddy come home. Girls, what's wrong, Daddy? I just need you to pray for me. Just, oh, okay, here's what I need to do. Woo, bright prophetic idea. Girls, come on, Aaron, make it. Get my hand up. Ah, ah. The first thing they're going to think is they're hurting Daddy. That's the first thing my kids did. Oh, Daddy, no. I said, well, intense. Do it. It's okay. No, you're not hurt. I need you to do it. Just do it. Just lift my hand. Ah! <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see the fair girls all here, and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> Picture daddy in the middle and all you girls. That's not Tarzan. That's a, <laughs> it just starts sounding like I thought we might as well finish it off. I just, <laughs> but, oh my God, where are we at? <laughs> so I get it up. I get it up. The whole way up. Yeah. I get it the whole way up. And I thought, this is so perfect. Oh, this is so prophetic. This is so cool. And if nothing, if at best, it was just a sign of integrity. Because I lifted my other arm high. Because this is the one that was just wiped. And they're holding it. They're holding it. The little seven-year-old. Way down here, you know. My daughter's holding it. I looked up. Father, as long as I have breath, as long as I'm alive, my hands will be raised before you. I worship you. I love you. 
And I didn't say it that calm and that, I mean, it's a hardly talk. And as I got the words out of my mouth, it got worse. Totally worse. It's not works. And now I had to bring it back down. I was never in so much pain in my life. In fact, when that devil came and told me to go get help for the pain, it sounded really like a good idea. And it was the first time I understood what it meant to be tempted more than you can bear. Who knows the scripture in Corinthians says that you be tempted. God won't allow you to be tested or tempted more than you can bear and will always provide a way of escape. My body was afflicted so at such a level of pain that when that thing said, just go get help, I was like, yeah. That would be good to not have pain right now. Because I was crossed the line. It's just, it's, it's, it's. But when I went to say to my wife, we ought to get help, guess what she's hearing? Your husband's so stubborn. He's going to die in front of you. So the best thing she can have me say is, let's go get help. She's relieved then. Because she thinks now she's watching me die. For the sake of the gospel. And when I was ready to speak to my wife, Kim, maybe we ought to go get help. I stopped right when I was ready to speak. I just stopped. I'll never forget it. I was laying on the floor, leaned up against the couch, ready to pass out. And I said, I went like that, and I went. And I just froze, and I thought, that's not my answer. God, that's not my answer. And that wonderful, wonderful, precious Holy Spirit said, don't believe the lie. I can't even explain the fire that came in my stomach. I couldn't even move. I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even, I was laying out right. I stood to my feet and I yelled out loud, I will not. When you know you hear God, it's a good thing to say what he's saying. I will not believe the lie. Came right out of my mouth, loud. Family's looking, now I'm standing. Look punch drunk a little bit probably. It would have been a great video. Now I'm standing. This thing is real, guys. It's demonic, it's spiritual. My kids were right in the middle. They're sitting on the steps of our blue steps of the middle room watching daddy crying. My wife's sitting there like this, hearing I'm gonna die. And it looks like it. Now I'm standing to my feet screaming. And I don't talk like this normally, so I just knew it was inspired. (laughs) Remember, this was the third demonic assault in a row. I yelled out of my mouth, how long with you will you? How long will you like an, I was just looking. Had my eyes open. I was just looking. How long will you like an uncircumcised Philistine? Meaning David and Goliath stand in the field of my life and hurl threats at a child of the living God. And as I was saying it, I realized both my hands were raised high. And when I proclaimed it, I can't explain the, 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 the manifestation, but it felt like an explosion. A spiritual explosion. You have no idea how intense this whole atmosphere was. It went And when it blew up, my body was completely strong. So clear, I was never so clear in my life. I looked up and my ceiling opened and this crystal waterfall started to pour on my head. 
I didn't ask for it. I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't usually talk about this stuff because then people are all of a sudden talking about the crystal waterfall in their head. It just happens because people love you and respect you. You share manifestations, then people seek those manifestations. Don't seek those manifestations. Seek Jesus. But it was the second time I had seen that waterfall in my life with my eyes. The other time was when God took a brain tumor out of a lady in a hospital. It, the, the hospital ceiling opened up with my eyes open and I saw a crystal waterfall splash on her bed. It was amazing. And took away a brain tumor. But if you teach that, then people think, well, if I don't see the waterfall, I didn't get it. We didn't get the victory. Every once in a while, you're just entitled to those little graces and blessings. And they're fun, but you don't live by them. You live by the finished work of Christ. But I preached Jesus, I stood there and I yelled at the top of my lungs, the glory of Christ. You have no idea the effect that that experience had in my life and what it built in my heart. The tenacity, the fearlessness, the no nonsense, no compromise. The kingdom of darkness is real, but the kingdom of God rules. Mentality. That's why you see me the way I am because of all that stuff. I can still be relatable, I'm still gentle, I'm still kind to people, but I promise you I'm, I'm a warrior inside. And I don't have time for me, I don't have time for fear, I don't have time to feel sorry for myself. I don't have time to be bored and distracted because <laughs> this thing's real. And the devil's trying to destroy us and stop the will of God. And the whole time he's doing it, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> That's what I have time for. It's fun realizing Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. So I don't know how I got in on all that, but just, you want to do a quick question? And then we'll go to break. Uh, you good? Yeah, you're talking about right thinking and right theology um, for healing. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at Job, and he had wrong thinking and wrong theology, and yet God still delivered him. Yeah, it's, it's mercy triumphing over judgment. They're under the law of sin and death. Job's, Job's integrity, Job's innocence, there's a justice in all that. Uh, so that should be encouraging. He had wrong everything. His friends were completely wrong. So God sets the record straight. And I don't know if you realize how much he does all that for the big picture and generations to come. Why would he write the story of Job in the Bible and have it on your lap in 2011? So that you understand so that you don't follow the same mistakes and so that you see the goodness of God and the will of God. You follow me? There is 30 some chapters of Job that are a lot of of it, if you read it, are an expression of emotion. And mindsets. And they're all being fueled by the trauma and the trial. Believing the whole while that God's the one that's doing it. Chapters worth. And if you read the mentality and the things that are written, it's all the things we say today. And yet God straightened it all out in the end and said, what are you guys doing? (laughs) He gets blamed for, we called God the thief for years. I was in intercession a long time back, years ago, and I started bawling and bawling and bawling because the Lord showed me we've been calling him the thief for generations. And he's good. Amen? So actually Martha's comment should be extremely encouraging. 
Job didn't even have clear theology and God intervened and healed. It's a mercy and grace thing, guys. So why not learn? Let's get healthy theology and let's stand in the will of God. Amen? And what it does is it spares your emotions. Okay, here's a good thing in what Martha said. So you take that scenario I just painted, what I've been through there with them three things. If I didn't have clear theology, where that could have went? Just be a mess. Could have died. Could have lost my leg. I was told that I had such and something, had names that long, and it touched my bone and they would have to take my leg. I was told that. The only reason I went to the doctor is because every Christian in my life told me I was in spiritual pride and needed to go get help and look at your leg. And Jesus doesn't expect you to take a stand and die. We do have doctors. And I said, it's not about doctors. And Yeah, but you're in pride. You have to face you're in pride. I had several people I respected in my life sit me down and have a face-to-face talk and tell me I was in pride. And I didn't even, couldn't even relate to what they were thinking. I couldn't even relate to what they were saying. It didn't even relate. But yet subconsciously I started to question, do I have pride? Am I in denial? And Holy Spirit one night told me to go to the hospital. I fought him for two and a half hours and treated him like he was the enemy. And he never let me know it was him for two and a half hours because I think he appreciated my tenacity. (laughs) Because he'd say, go to the hospital. (laughs) Go to the hospital. Go to the hospital. For two and a half hours. Go to the hospital. Now isn't it cool he's not up at the throne. I'm telling you, he rebuked me. I'm trying to tell Dad to go to the hospital. He growled at me. I think he sat there and just kept whispering and watching my response and going, oh, you go, boy. You are so locked in. Go to the hospital. Go to the hospital. I'm just that fucked because who knows God can just come and let you know it's him because after about two and a half hours I'm laying there and I went that's you well then you none of you have ever seen me like that because now I'm like why the hospital this isn't a Ben Ben about a hospital from the beginning this is a hospital I want you to go to the hospital I'm I'm like (laughs) I can't walk I mean just picture this I make my way up to the bedroom and tell my wife to get up and take me to the hospital. She said, huh? You want to go to the hospital? I said, no. (laughs) I said, why are you going? I don't know. I I don't know. She drove me there. I'm sitting looking out the window the whole time. I'm mumbling. I don't know why we're in the hospital. It's a devil. It's a devil. Why do I need to go to the hospital if it's a devil? You know it's a devil. The whole, that was pitiful. I'm going, I mean, just imagine the sight we were coming into the emergency room. My wife holding on to me and me trying to drag my leg. No crutch, no wheelchair, no nothing. And I'm mumbling and crying the whole time. I don't even know why. And the closer I get to the door, the more emotional I'm getting. Because I don't even know why. Why would I go? I said, the devil. Why do I not? Oh, God, what are we doing? But I was so sure at that point it was God. I opened the doors of the emergency room. My wife did. And I crawled through. And when I got through the barrier of the door, the most incredible presence and love of God came down over me like a wave. Right in front of everybody. i just not ashamed of the gospel. I looked up and I remember standing there going, I look at my wife, 
this is God, this is the God I serve, and I love him all, and he's just melting me. And in the middle of all that emotion and feeling and God's presence, oh, was just, oh. he said, see, Dan, you weren't too proud to come. Then I tried to leave. And that's, that's when I, you, you know the story. And then the white coats surrounded you. And when they, when they talk to an adult in a little kid's voice, they think you're crazy. Just for future reference, if you're ever in these situations. When you've got full-grown adults surrounding you in white coats talking to you like you're a child, it's because they think you're out of your mind. And I looked at them and I said, guys... Do you realize you're all talking to me like I'm a little kid? It's because you all think I'm crazy. (laughs) I'm not crazy. It's a spiritual thing and you don't understand and I don't need to be here. There was something God was teaching. Oh, well, we understand you have faith. We hear you really believe. Oh, we believe that you believe in God. And they start talking like a child again. I said, guys, you're doing it again. Long story short, I left them and my wife's big brown eyes talked me in, not blaming it on her. I just looked over at her and she's just like, <laughs> talk, left them, talked me into them running a culture thing. And the first thing I heard was, you got this and you'll lose your leg and why did you wait so long to come here? You hear the judgment in all that? And all I can do is burst out like a hyena and laugh. <laughs> and I said, this thing is so exposed. Because, now watch. Watch how serious this is. Do you know how easy I could have lost my leg? I could have sat on the bed and said, God, why are you letting it go this far? Why haven't you intervened? I said, it couldn't. It's, it's doing it. Why? I could have took this face value, took it personal, and had a beef with God when he's my father. Come on. And all of a sudden, submit to fear, and irrational gospel thinking, and all of a sudden, surrender or take on the identity of what they're telling me. I do remember laughing out of my heart. And you guys heard this, that story all before. I don't even know why I got into all that, but there's some aspects about it that are important as far as no nonsense, no surrender, loving not your own life. 11 hours, 11 days, 11 months, 11 years, these truths never change. Do they? When I open my Bible, does it say the same thing it said before I was going through the trial? 11 days into it, has anything in here changed? Then why do we change so much? Why do we go with the tide of analytical thinking, emotion, psychology? We're late, we gotta take a break, but... Then we got to get back to Matthew 10. You guys got to let me, okay? I'll let you do your question and we'll, after the break, okay? And then whatever we got going on. But then I got to teach out some things, okay? Because I took a lot of questions this morning. So God bless you. Go take a break. We'll hit two more questions. Then we're going to finish here with some scriptures. <laughs> What's written in there? Just me personally. I don't get a lot of knowledge in some of the areas. <laughs> it's just me. I stay ignorant in certain things on purpose. <laughs> But uh, it's just me. It's not that it's right or wrong. Okay, Patty. We're back. We're back. Amen. Question or comment? It's probably both. Okay. 
Okay. And if tears come, don't think, I can cry when I'm happy, I cry. That's fine. You don't have to qualify your emotions. You're free to be emotional. It's, I have that heart. Amen. However, now this is, like I say, I don't know if it's a comment, if it's a question, if it's where are we at, Terry and I. Okay. Okay. Um, like with Terry, I'm, I'm using him for an example. He's probably, he's the guinea pig. He's had diabetes probably now since he's been 40 years old. And, and the diabetes is not just, you know, a little diabetes. We're talking it's starting to affect his body. Oh, diabetes you know, can be. You know, just, uh. and he's had it for, you know, so many years. And, you know, we're talking shots, we're talking pills, three pills a day, two shots a day. And he can get up in the morning and say, oh, my sugar's 300 and something. You know, and, but this is a man, you don't hear him complain. You don't see him waver. You, and Martha, God had Martha say that before him, because I'm trying to think, what else do I want to say about this? He has such integrity and such love for people that sometimes I get aggravated. I mean, that's, I didn't know how else to say that, because we'll be, we can be in the store I turn around, he's gone, and here he is helping somebody, you know, or he, I'm in a store shopping, and he's, he's taking the carts away. Sounds like you're shopping with Jesus, Patty. I I, I believe so, but here's here's, here's a man that, like I told you yesterday, he knows you're thirsty before, he knows you're thirsty before you do, you know, and he does so, not that he's a works man, because he doesn't do it to be lunist. No, no, no. It's a genuine love. It's a sincere integrity. Sure. It, exactly. And so, I mean, here's a man with bad diabetes. He's ha- had, well, it's been a little while, but open heart surgery. You know, he had this knee replacement. He has this aneurysm. He has these uh, cataracts. I mean, I don't want, and it's like, I guess maybe, but you never hear him say a word. He just, or he wouldn't be sitting here. You know, it hasn't really moved him. Which is awesome. Which is is good, but But nothing's changing. Let me just comment on that too, quick. Because when when somebody does that, we make that extraordinary because we're not used to it. When it's really should never be an option. Character and integrity should be a given. Love and not our own life in the face. Here's what Patty's saying, and I can let me interpret what you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong. What struggles, what struggles us so much is, why is this happening to such a good man? He's so like this, and now we're seeing him go through all this, and it just bugs me because he's, he's certainly not obviously earning this. And it, to me, it's obvious that we're in a war. There's spiritual things going on. One of the biggest things I hear when good people go through hard times is that right there. It's never a works thing. It's, it's always a grace and mercy thing anyway. So we're not, we're, the only reason we're protected is because of the blood and name of Jesus, not because we've been good men or women, because we've all needed the blood. So as integral as you are, we've still needed the blood of Jesus Christ, the mercy of God. People say in churches, well, yeah, but if so-and-so, they're the most godly person I know, if they didn't get healed, you can't tell me it wasn't the will of God to take them and stuff like that. We talk like that because we're taking natural knowledge, assessing it analytically, uh, assessing it. Uh, We just have to be really careful with that. Here's what I know. It's not works. You're not earning because of your character and integrity. I watch people pray over people. They say, God, bless this man. He is such a good man. You know how he helps this and you know how he does this and you know how he does that. And it's as if we're healed because of our works. We're, We're healed because of the blood and body of Jesus. So what we have to be careful is to glean and learn 
from his integrity and thank God for the man he's built him to be in that way, okay? And not let it attach to what he's going through, but let the mercy and love of God come upon him in that way. Because if not, you're gonna take it personal because he's your husband, you love him, and you're watching him go through stuff. And he's a, you feel like he's a whole lot better person than you are most of the time, yeah, down in your heart. I understand. So, and it's like, and here he is going through all this, right? So do you hear, though, the, the empathy, the, the sentiment, the emotion that gets all tied up in all that? It just reveals we're in a war. So we're growing in understanding in an area to walk in a greater way of victory, protection. Diabetes is one I use as an example. If, if you have, that's a daily awareness of a problem. Who knows what I'm saying? Even if you've never experienced or been around people with diabetes, who knows what I mean? Diabetes is a perfect example of something that you have to walk through if you're not seeing it change and you've been prayed for and we've been praying or something and, and, and you have to wake up with the reality of symptomatic diabetes, right? That's where you get this relationship, God's love, blessing and, 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 and staying in that place you're defining him is huge, huge. And God, I thank you, and you speak life over your body, you bless your body, don't curse your body, you bless yourself, you speak life, thank you for your love for me, because diabetes is an everyday reality that you're facing, it tries to come and conflict against your ability to commune, walk in relationship, and receive grace in that area, if that makes sense. In time, you can just, well, this is the way it is. You can throw that off. You can fail to do certain things. Or some people, here's what I see people do. I'm just going to share some of the things I see people do. They start hearing there's a possibility of healing. They heal the gospel. They hear, they think, wow, maybe I can be healed. They make a mad push for healing for a season. It's like we got a tank full of gas and we go for it. And then when we run out of that gas, we just kind of, oh, well, tried it. It's not a hit, miss, win, or lose. It's not something we're going after. It's a lifestyle. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith isn't something we're trying to get a result. We're not even praying because we have a need. We're in relationship with God. And I do my best to be over and over at the risk of redundant to share that. I have watched us use the gospel to get help, use the gospel to get healed, use the gospel to get blessing, use the gospel to get money, use the gospel to get my marriage fixed. That is not what the gospel's for. The gospel is so we can enter back into right relationship and fellowship with Almighty God and be his kids. And in that place, there's a finished work called redemption and restoration that can come into my body. But in that place, there's a place for me to have faith to lay hands on the sick and pray and believe and receive, amen? So you have to be very careful, Patty, that you have the ability to honor his integrity and separate the trial and all that from that because you'll get into works, you'll think he's the least one that deserves this, why is bad things happening to him? It'll make your heart hard instead of in faith. You'll get angry instead of be in a place of blessing. You see what I mean? You gotta let that work to the good and be able to believe for him all the more because of the beautiful man that he is. You see what I mean? Rather than let it, why does this have to happen to him? Well, this shouldn't even, well, it's warfare. It just, to me, it means we're in a war. You see what I'm saying? 
No, you didn't come across that way. It's just you love him and you know his character is amazing and it, gets, it can try to touch you in a frustrating way because there's, there's obviously been a list of physical things over the years. Sometimes, I've used this as an example. Sometimes the most, who's noticed that sometimes the most precious people that you've met go through the most serious physical things sometimes? Do you think that's a coincidence? Wonder if it's, we haven't really understood. Wonder if things are taking advantage spiritually of us in the flesh because of all the diverse teaching, all the experiences out there. Wonder if, wonder if, wonder if whatever's coming through the cracks is because it can, whatever. Wonder if we just need more understanding. Wonder if we just need more understanding. Isn't it amazing that some of the most God-fearing, committed, and loyal people that we've met have some of them have we've already lost. Do you know that? I know that to be true in the 16 years I've been saved. I've heard about it. People say, well, yeah, but so and so. And then here's what they do. They build a theological case on that scenario. And when you meet them and start talking, nah, don't bring that healing thing to me. We know Sister Sally and there ain't nobody. She was like Jesus in the flesh. She was so loving. that, But that doesn't mean she understood anything about God's will to heal. Do you know some people accept things? Some people deep down in their heart believe that somehow God is sovereignly involved. Some people believe it's their calling for a reason or God's using it as a tool to teach. All those things could come into play. I wonder if we're getting taken advantage of in certain areas and we're good people in God. We're, we really want to do right, but we don't understand some things and wonder if things are just striking based on that. wonder if it's that simple. So in all our getting, get understanding because we're being destroyed for the lack of... It doesn't say we're being destroyed because we're bad people. You follow what I'm saying? How can we live by faith if we don't know what to put our faith in? Wonder if we just start getting driven by need. Wonder if the enemy can come and, and press our life in such a way that the only reason we're reading this is to get help instead of know him. Are you following what I'm saying? All these things are a paradox and they don't help us in the, the good fight of faith. You follow me? Because you could get confused, frustrated. You could feel like been there, did that, done that. Didn't work for me. Why do people draw back? Because what they tried didn't work. Why do people change their mind? Because they never got established in truth. The Bible says, let your heart be established for the coming of the Lord is near. It's in Timothy. What it means is don't let your heart be flip-floppy. Don't let circumstances dictate your belief. Don't be one thing one day and one thing the next. Let your heart be established. Settle on truth because Jesus is coming back in time short. So settle on truth. So wonder if we settle on truth in the face of physical affliction. We still settle on truth. And then from that place wage a good warfare and maintain an identity that receives a grace in our life. Perfect example is what you shared about the cataract thing. 
So we pray for the cataract. We don't see it disappear. Ugh. So no, it can. Would love to see it disappear. Can't stumble over, why didn't it disappear? Well, we're just gonna continue in faith. We're gonna keep our integrity. We're gonna worship Jesus. That's your nature. And now his eyes are doing better. His eyes doing way better than they ever expected. We can learn from that, guys. Because we're not stumbled over the fact, well, why didn't it go away? Well, we prayed, why didn't it happen? Well, we believed, you preached on healing, why didn't the cataract leave? Just contesting faith all the time. You see what I'm saying? Instead, keeping your heart integral, here he is, watch, watch, here he is laying yesterday, resting his eye, don't forget his water. He told her. <laughs> Come on, that's amazing. Did he do that, Linda? Don't, make sure you don't forget his water. Now watch, watch. He could have been sitting there going, man, this eye feels so scratchy. Wonder why that cataract didn't go. Dan's praying, he's teaching on healing, and yeah, healing, cataract, would have went. God, it's not always God's will to heal. God's will to heal them. Why didn't he take care of it? All of a sudden, he doesn't care if I'm thirsty. <laughs> I'm just making a point. All of a sudden, he could have a whole lot of other things going through his mind. He could be feeling scratchy in his eye, feeling pain. Why didn't this work for me? Isn't that what people do all the time? There's people in this room that can relate to what I'm saying because you've done it. Something about staying in the game. There's something about letting your heart be held up high in integrity and honor, proving that you love not your life unto death and it's not about what you received and didn't receive, it's about who he is and who you are in him and continuing to grow from that place. All of a sudden in that place, all of a sudden the vision is way better than they expected. Boy, that sure beats the vision being worse than they expected. You see what I'm saying? So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ, 1 Thessalonians 5. Are you hearing me? That's the word of God. Rejoice always. Well, I wonder why I didn't get healed. Oh, other people's cataracts disappeared. Wonder what's wrong with me? Why didn't God heal me? Well, see, if they saw cataracts disappear before, they had to have faith when they prayed because they already saw them leave. So if they prayed over me in faith and it didn't go, it couldn't be God's will. That's how we start rationalizing and speaking. Well, the disciples saw miracles and they should have had faith and the epileptic boy wasn't healed and something was wrong and Jesus addressed it and still healed the boy and I guess we ought to follow Jesus. We're back to the drawing board. Let's just follow Jesus. Do you see how in trouble you can get if you run your mind too much? And start valuing, valuing your opinion apart from God's message through his son? Because I'm telling you, that analytical way that we've been taught to think and be, we inherited that when the serpent was talking to Eve, by the way. God never gave you the ability to talk yourself out of him. It's when she listened to the devil long enough that what he was saying made sense. Come on. Because when she first answered, she said, oh no, yeah, we're not supposed to eat the tree. Yeah, the day we eat the tree is the day you die. Oh, you're not gonna die? What do you mean? Well, God just knows that see, and when you eat your eyes, and well then you'll be like God, and you'll be just, and you'll know that. She looked and saw, man, there's nothing wrong with this tree. 
What's the fuss? It's good. What was forbidden became good because she listened to a voice long enough and made rational sense out of it. Are you following me? We do that in our minds a lot. Situation like this, I'm just using you as an example. He could be sitting in his chair, disappointed, questioning healing. Well, Dan's seen several cataracts disappear. He prayed for mine. Why didn't it disappear? We had to have faith. He already saw him disappear. He knows that God takes cataracts. I never saw one disappear, but he has, and he prayed for me. In fact, the class prayed, two or more touching anything they agree shall be done. Whatever we ask believing, it shall be done. Felt like I was believing. I don't know why it didn't go away. I don't know about this healing stuff. You follow me? Now, now our experience has a louder voice than Jesus' life. And now our mindset has a louder voice than Jesus' words. Now we're in deep trouble again, that's for sure. If I embrace that mindset in any trial I've been through, sometimes more so in what I do because I preach this thing every day of my life and minister. When my wife's in trouble and I've seen other people's wives healed, now my wife's in trouble, you could take that personal. You could say, you could pray and not see anything change because I was praying for my wife. And you could all of a sudden in your heart say, man, this is ridiculous. God, come on. I see other people's wives healed and saved. You got to save mine. You got to heal mine. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you? And all of a sudden I make my conversation with God when he's given me the kingdom and told me to go in his name. Why am I even talking to God as if he's responsible? Who's carrying the kingdom? So why do we have so many conversations with God as if he's somehow sovereignly responsible? That right there proves that we don't understand he gave us the baton. He put the ball in our hand. That one thought right there reveals that we aren't established in a revelation. Because we make it about God all the time. God, what are you doing? God, why didn't you heal? God, where are you? God, I've been praying and praying and praying. When are you going to move? God, if I'm doing anything wrong, please show me. And all of a sudden, as soon as you start on that track, you're introspecting, you got uncertainty, you're double taken, you're gonna get your mind in derision. You're gonna reduce yourself to a method, you're gonna be just quoting principles, trying to get answers. I want you to see something, I know I got a lot of hands going here, because this is a, it's a wonderful, I appreciate you being that vulnerable and talking like that. It's healthy, it's good, because what she's sharing, we've all felt at times in our life, true? Yeah. True, so it's excellent, it's corporate. It needs talked about so we can bring in the right perspective. These two just got married. She, she got really, she got really like tested when he went away for a day. <laughs> just a day, buddy. <laughs> I know, but in a day. It just took a day, honey. I know five, but in a day. <laughs> she said, he was going all night. <laughs> I mean, I know I was with Jesus, but... Anthony wasn't there. <laughs> I said, oh, it was like, now watch. She loves him. I do. You do, don't you? Oh, very much so. She does. And if he was going through a situation like she's talking about, with him, it has some ramifications, some temptations, and some trials to the soul, to the emotion, to the empathy, to the sentiment side of life, because you treasure your husband. So to see him suffer would be like, Crazy difficult, maybe. Some people, so much to the point where now they're mad at God because 
why are you letting him suffer as if God's letting him suffer? So now they make their beef with God instead of taking their sword and shield and fighting with everything God gave them through Jesus. Now they're turning and actually accusing God when he gave us the weapons of warfare that we to be growing in. And now we're turning wondering where God is because you love your spouse so much. God, don't you see them suffering? God, why don't you move? That's what people do in those situations. And if we'd really listen to the word, I did move. There's a sword. It's in your belt. It's in the holster. Pull it out. It's called the word. Continue to believe. Don't let your experience dictate who I am, please. Don't let your experience dictate who they are. See them through my son in the finished work. Come on, get out the sword. Hold up your shield of faith. It'll quench all the fiery darts. It'll even keep your soul protected from misidentifying the enemy in this. You see what, it, you see what the gospel's saying? Come on, I put armor in you. You are a soldier. Stand and fight. Don't turn and look at your captain as if I led you down a wrong road. I know where I'm taking you. Fight. Not with me. Fight. You following? Because we do that a lot. I've learned we do that a lot. Especially when it hits close to home in our emotions. And we find out just how much we covet our lives and we're using God for a better day. God forbid when I'm going through severe witchcraft and pain that my wife's sitting he's a good man you can't let this happen to him and God forbid I'm thinking yeah I am a good man what are you doing God I don't know of any consciousness of sin I lay down my life for people I answer the phone all the time God I give almost 24-7 myself to everybody you think you could watch my back a little bit Are you following me? God forbid I have that mentality because I'm going to get crushed by the devil. When Paul and Silas is in prison and their backs are hanging open for preaching the gospel and wanting to save lives, thank God they're not sitting there thinking, God, you think you could watch our backs? There's trials, there's testings, there's a proving of the genuineness of our faith. Wonder if God, sitting back like this, looking at us saying, Oh no, I see what you're going through. I'm really interested in seeing what you're gonna do because I've put everything in your hands and everything in your heart so that everything is in your mouth, so that everything is in place. I've made you my kids. You're my team. You're my warriors. You're my army. To look to me, Moses, what are you crying out to me for? Raise your staff and split the sea. That's Old Testament. We're in a New Testament with greater glory. Moses gets him to the shore, and it sounds pretty traumatic. He says, watch and see the Lord your God in his hand. And he says, hey, Moses, why are you crying out to me, buddy? I gave you authority. I put it in. Remember the rod? Remember the whole demonstration? How about if you just raise that over the sea and split it? He's pointing to Christ in us. He's pointing to a day where we're walking as priests and kings under our God. We're not waiting on God to move. God has moved through his son. He's like made the most major move on the chessboard and it's your move. I got this vision ever since I've been saved when I get into a real precarious trial or a place. I, I don't have the vision anymore. I used to get it. I'd get a vision of God sitting on a throne, this being, I can't tell you what he looked like. Like you. 
That's what I said before. <laughs> Facial features. But I'm sure he looked a lot like me because he's my dad. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I would see this. I'd see, and I knew in, my, in this vision it was God on a throne, but I could see his arms crossed and I could tell his face was looking down. It was just a childlike thing. He knows how to relate to each of us. And it meant something to me. He was, all, he was high and lifted up. I saw the Lord. He's high and lifted up. And he was looking down and I'd hear this in my heart when I was in the middle of the trial. He'd be looking at me and his arms were crossed, meaning he's not doing anything. And here's what I would hear him say. And and I had this experience many times for about a year and a half, two years. So what are you going to do? In other words, he's saying, hey, don't look to me. I put myself in you. I gave you the initiative, the authority, the power. I said that you have power of life and death in your tongue. You decree a thing, it'll come to pass. And we're complaining. You decree a thing, it'll come to pass. And we're in fear. Power of life and death in my tongue. And I ought to speak life. Sometimes just the questions we ask reveal we don't understand for sure. And wonder if Satan's taking advantage of all of that. Even in the face of good character. Now am I putting fault on him or us? No, I'm saying let's keep growing to show ourselves approved. I want you to see something quick, real quick. Ephesians 4, and then I want to go back to Matthew 10. I'm, I'm holding, I, I, I know I got a lot of questions. We, if we catch up on them tomorrow, fine. Right? I feel like I have to get a little bit of these scriptures here going. I I really took a lot of questions today, so please be humble and understand I'm doing my best with that. It's actually neat that I just felt in my heart way back in the beginning of the school last year to give a liberty to ask questions. But uh, right now I feel like we just need to get a little bit of word under our belt here. There's giftings in the body of Christ in Ephesians 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It doesn't say to build a conference around them so they can minister to the church. Yeah, absolutely. I've said it on tape a lot. That is not why there's giftings in the body to build a conference around to minister to the need of the people. The gifts are anointed to what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that is not just reserved for collecting offering, ushering at doors, and doing what it takes to run the Sunday morning ship. As much as that stuff's important and there's a help there in children's church, even at this church, there's, there's a beauty to the local body. It is the will of God to have a local family, a local congregation. And however you can pitch in and help and let the hand and the foot and the elbow and the wrist all become one and fulfill the mission of God within the house, that's important. But there's a great marriage between coming and going. We come to be equipped to go. There is safety, there is protection, there is nourishment, there is in the body. The local body has the great, I can't get teaching on that right now, but, but it's the work of the ministry is broader than whatever it takes to roll, to pull off a Sunday morning. There's a bigger picture of church family than Sunday morning. Right? But who knows there's, there's, there's need on Sunday morning and who knows you can get needs driven and you can just try to make the ship run and 
I remember being in a setting where it was just, we were so inundated with need, we're always just pushing to get helpers and volunteers, and it almost was like compulsion and condemnation. Look, you want to come to this church, somebody better pitch in almost is the way it feels at times in a lot of churches. No, it's family. So we lay down our life and we give ourselves to one another for the help of the whole. Why? For the edifying of what? The body of Christ, the building of herself up. Now watch. Look why these giftings are in the body of Christ and what the equipping is. Verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Why? Because we're not there. Let's just be humble. We're just not there. So watch. And the knowledge of the... So we're to be teaching knowledge through the Son of God. Knowledge of the Son of God, right? Who knows how easy it is to get on Bible topics and just have Bible study and teach entertaining subjects and never learn Christ. I am zero interested in Bible topics and just having Bible study to cover topics. I want to know the Son of God so He's in me, flowing through me. Now watch. I want you to follow this. Till we come to the what? Knowledge of the Son of God. Look. To a... Perfect or complete man. Man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of the anointing. If we were already there, that wouldn't be written. There'd be no gifting in the church if we were already there. We're always growing, right? So if we're not walking in the fullness of the anointing, the full stature of Christ, that means the full measure of the outpouring of the anointing of God. Did Jesus walk in that? Without measure? Is Christ in us? Are we called to follow him? The things he did, we're to do, if we believe, right? So the reason we train and equip is to walk in the full measure of Christ. Is it possible, since it's written... Did God write this and then he's holding back on us? So if he wrote this, we should be pursuing this, true? So Jesus' experience should be mine, right? So I need to pursue him until it becomes mine. And if it's not, I still pursue him. Because the truth doesn't change. My experience is subject to change. Are you guys following me? This is huge. We better get this. So why do we meet and gather and teach and equip and train? Till we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God through the unity of faith. We all see the same thing. We're all pursuing the same truth to the full measure. Synergism. One track mind to the full measure of Christ. Look, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Do you know where the winds of doctrine come from? Analytical minds. Human intellect. Human reasoning. Human psychology, that was my next phrase, that's right. Come on. We start thinking long enough that we believe our thoughts because they so make sense. They so seem right to man. Yeah. The way that seems right to a man. The longer you think, the more you value your opinion. And find the ability to think in the face of God's word. The way that seems right to man has caused more destruction 
And then we turn in a level of pride, not willful, not usually even known and realized. We turn in a level of pride and accuse God. It's amazing. If we were in the full measure of the stature of Christ, would there be gifts in the body and would we even teaching and training? Here's when we know we're in the full measure of the stature of Christ, when his experiences our lives lived. When we touch and they heal. When we speak and it happens. When you meet a lady in the mall and she's crying and says, yeah, but you don't understand, my daughter is so vexed. She has got schizophrenia, she has this, she is on stuff, she is so vexed and I am just so, listen, we're gonna speak right now. Your daughter will be fine. And at home, the daughter goes, is that in your Bible? Did Jesus say we can do that? And I could tell you off the top of my head probably 10 cool stories just like that right now. But that is not my everyday experience and it needs to be. So even though I've seen it, it it needs to not elude me or be reduced to gifting. Thank God for gifting. Gifting is when God supernaturally comes upon you and puts you in a position that you wouldn't be in if he didn't come upon you. (laughs) In the sense of, Awareness, speak some vision, bam, and now you have a faith that wouldn't have been there if he wouldn't have. We tend to lean on gifting instead of cultivate faith. And we limit the miraculous to when God moves in gifts. Well, it's just truth. I've always talked that way. It's straight. Do you believe Jesus moved in gifting or revelation? He moved in every gift in the Bible. Why? Because Holy Spirit, they're all in Holy Spirit. But he's one with him. He moved out of security, identity, and revelation. Jesus moved out of revelation. He was the word made flesh. He's the revelation. So that means we're going to move. We're not relying on the gift. We're moving in revelation. Thank God for the gifts along the way. I'm not making second-besting the gifts. The gifts are amazing. They're awesome. I can tell you some beautiful stories with gifting. But if I'm relying on the gift, they they don't seem to come at the degree of the need around us. Do they? Why? Because you're not called to rely on gifting. You're called to live by faith. And you're called to walk in a revelation of Christ. And when there is somebody moving in gifting, the need is so great that 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 gifting gets flooded and stormed. And if that gifting would go from city to city, you couldn't hold enough people in the meeting places because everybody's coming to come under that gift when all the while Jesus is Lord and he's the Christ in us. And then it actually teaches us that we have to go to a certain place at a certain time because God's moving a certain way and he's already moved through his son. So I'm not demeaning gifting. Gifting is awesome. Uh, something like you see through Benny Hinn and, and his ministry. It's, it, uh, it's, it's awesome. I was, were you ever at a Benny Hinn service? Man, it's beautiful. And the presence of God and the corporate and the whoo and it's, yeah. And we were sitting right near wheelchairs and I just watched people get up that day. I just bawling. Oh, it was fun.
to a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind and doctrine. There's also other motives out there. It's trickery of men. There's cunning, deceitful. There's, there's interior motives. There's, there's stuff. There's people that have said the right things. Send in your money. We'll send this anointed thing. There's crazy stuff. It's a shame. Okay, Uh, because I want to get back to Matthew, but watch this. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, there's a difference between speaking the truth in love and just speaking it because you think you're right. Make sure when you speak that you know in your heart that you're speaking in love, that you're caring for the heart of the whole and that you don't, you're not just pushing issues. You know how easy it is to get hurt and get on a tangent? You know, there's a lot of people use the authority of a pulpit if they're not careful to push agendas and, and issues. You have to be very careful in your heart that you know you're not doing that. Platforming, it would be sin for me to platform an issue and subtly address an issue with intent from the pulpit and use the authority of the pulpit to prove a point subtly in my heart and try to get the strong amen from the corporate congregation. That would be sinful. When you're behind a pulpit, you say what God's saying and you preach his word, period. And you know you love people, right? Now that you have to be a steward of in your own life. Because nobody knows your heart but you. And I'm not gonna try to figure it out. I tell God, man, that's one thing I don't don't even, just don't even show me people's hearts and motives unless it's so absolutely necessary because that is one fine line. When you start telling people what motivates them, you better not be wrong. Or it will make you presumptuous, you'll be in judgment. You understand? Well, you're just this. Well, I think, well, I've been watching you long enough. No, you can't tell me that's not in your heart. You think this, you feel that. That is a scary place. Don't you dare go there with people. Okay? Okay, so we're speaking the truth in love. Why? So we may grow up. What are we doing? Come on, be humble with me. We're growing up. Why? Because we need to. We're maturing. We're growing up. Would he write this if we're already grown? Would he provide the gifts and the anointing and the teaching if we're already grown? We're growing up in, in what? In all things into him who is the head And he is Christ. And we're not going to be tossed by doctrine. We've covered this many times in the school, but I need you to real quick go to Colossians 2 real quick. You there? I'm getting there. As you therefore, as you therefore have received Christ, verse 6, Jesus the Lord. How have you received Jesus? In faith, good girl. We receive him by what? Do we receive him because we felt ushy gushy? Because lightning shone upon us? Because a light came in our room and said, follow me, I'm Lord. You have to believe most men's experiences, the just live by what? 
faith. And even if you have that experience, you have to continue believing, right? Unless he do that every day. It's funny how we lean on feelings. I was four months, I was four months saved. I was at YCF, four months saved. We had a speaker come there, Warren Hunter, and there was this thing going on, and we were at service, he laughed, and there was, you know, everybody was having fun when he was there, and we were calling it revival. I, I think looking back on it, people were just having fun and, 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 and being ministered to. God was just encouraging and strengthening hearts and getting people back in hope and, and stuff again. And it was just an assessment of mine, being a pastor there after a while. But, but what happened was because we were so riding the wave and enjoying the fun and the feelings and the ooh and God in the house, that when he left people got depressed because they felt like, well, he left, now it's over. And we were missing the point. I was only four months saved. I'm sitting in my seat. And Pastor Jack Cashman was leading the service as the head pastor, but the worship was in, but it was like, it was like a funeral parlor. They're singing like this most awesome song and it's like, bleh, in the house. Do you remember that? And I'm four months saved, guys. <laughs> Serious. I'm like, I need, somebody needs to change a diaper soon, something. That's how you think, four months saved. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me and said, Dan, people are deceived. They, they got their eyes on the man. They think I left in the van and I'm here. They got their eyes on a person and not me. He said, but I'm here. I'm in all of you. He said, I want you to get up and adjust the people, bring it to their attention, and then I'm going to move through you with power. Go tell the pastor. And I'm like, yeah. I already knew that this was so not fair, seemingly, to the pastor. I, I'm four months saved. Now I've got to go put the pastor in the position of asking him, telling him, I heard the Lord. He wants to move with power. People do that to pastors a lot because they get it. They're touched, zealous, they hear things. But when you do that, I just said it to Jenny on Sunday. She came over, she went to the pastor, said, wait. He came up, moved. Jenny came over and stood, shared. I said, you just protect your heart because he's in authority. So whatever, even it does, if you heard God, great. But how he handles it, you just need to honor it. It's up to him. I've seen countless people get a word from the Lord, they believe. Tell the leadership. The leadership doesn't respond, doesn't give liberty. They get hurt and go home. That kind of response right there gets me to question if they really heard the Lord. I just don't see God setting his kids up like that. I believe we feel like we hear, we have impressions sometimes, but when you have the ability to get offended because the leader didn't, then it's all about you and your word and it's not even about Jesus. And you have need in your life. Because why are you offended? What are you... What do you think God's sitting up on the throne crying because you didn't get to share your word? Oh, I wanted to minister to my people. But the pastor wouldn't let me. He has the way to get the word out. He can put it in the pastor's mouth. Come on, he spoke through a donkey. He can speak through anybody. So we just got to be careful with this stuff. So now I go over to the pastor and here's what I said to him. I said, uh, Pastor, man, I'm just realizing that everybody's... Uh, kind of bummed out here. He said, can you tell? He said, yeah, it's, it's really uh, something not right. It's kind of, bleh. 
I said, well, the Lord showed me that everybody's eyes are on the man and that they think God left when the van pulled out. And God just told me in my heart over there that he's here and that if you would stop worship, he's gonna move with power, but you better make sure that's God. That's what I said. As soon as I told him that that's what I heard, I said, but you better make sure that's God because you're the shepherd here. You're, and you better make sure that, that that's God. Because I was hoping he didn't stop the music. <laughs> yeah, I'm four months saved. So I go back over to my chair. I'm like, meh, meh. I'm a little sheepy, you know. And I sit down, meh. And I'm sitting there. And Pastor Jack gets up and and. He used to walk in, his eyes closed all the time. He stops the music. And I'm thinking, oh my God, he stopped the music. <laughs> I think he's going to tell the people what I said. Call me up there. <laughs> I'm so afraid, you have no idea. I'm sitting in my chair. I'm four months saved. Four months. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I put my hands out and I got real spiritual postured right away. <laughs> so I put on spiritual posture. Because I need to be spiritual in a minute. <laughs> and in my heart, I said, Lord, I-, I believe you told me this. I mean, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. You're telling me I'm gonna, you're going to move with power. I told Pastor Jack, I was obedient. Now I think he's stopping the music. And I think he's calling me up there. God, I don't even know what to do. You better come. You've got to come. I just lean on you. And as I'm talking to him, I'm like, it, it, was, it, was, it, it sounds desperate, but it was a very humble thing. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. You got to do something. In my elbows, on both hands, this vibration started. It went, and I went. And it came down my forearms into my hands. Right when I was talking like that, I'm sitting there going, and I'm going, oh my God. I can't even tell you what it did to me, the confidence, the feeling, the overwhelm. I'm sitting there going, I knew God was real a minute before that, but I'm going, oh my God, you are so real. He was more real than he was a minute ago. Did you ever see a paint shaker? The old-fashioned, that's how my hands felt, but they weren't moving. They weren't doing, it wasn't doing this like people, you know how they'll, they were still as could be. I'm looking at them, they're still as could be, but they almost hurt. They were vibrating so hard inside, they almost hurt. And now I'm going up to pray, and now confidence and boldness comes over me because I'm like, God's with me. I thought, this was the Lord. I get up there, you know. You're just ready now. It's God. He's the one encouraged. It's not arrogant. It's not presumptuous. This is you, God. He backed it. Why? It's like all this is is grace. See, we misunderstand it. We say, well, don't pray for the sick until you feel the anointing. We teach that stuff. Teach ourselves to live by feelings. No wonder we're in prayer lines asking to feel the love of God all the time. Shame on us. We cater to sensuality and we're supposed to live by faith. All this is, is a pat on the hiney to a little child. You can do it. I'm with you. That's what this is. Who knows that all that I'm feeling, whenever it signifies, is already in my spirit in Christ. This is just a form of grace. You know how you're teaching a kid something and you pat them and say, go ahead, honey, it's okay. 
No, you'll be fine. Go ahead. Now get to it. That's all God was doing. He's patting his little four-month-old. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. That's all he was doing. So I go out there with my pampers on in the spirit. Got my big old binky. But guess what? God's with me. So now I'm not just a four-month-old. Kingdom of God's in me. I don't know if you remember that day. Huh? But we just, boom, chopped up the lies, and then God moved. Prayed for a couple people. I got back to the last person I was going to pray for. Two people were back there. I was going to pray for about first things. I called some people out. My arms were vibrating so intensely that it was starting to feel like it hurt. It was distracting me. There's lessons in all this stuff. I turned. I'm ready to pray for two people. I turned and I said, and God was touching them in a dramatic way. Like I was afraid to touch the first lady the way my hands felt. I didn't even want to touch her. Because my hands felt, it was ridiculous. And I was afraid to touch her because I didn't know I was just afraid to touch her. I pictured her head going poof. <laughs> I just was afraid. I, I, I was like, this just seems to something. I turned. I said, Lord, I know. Watch what it said. I know you're here. I know you love us. And I can feel the whole shift in this atmosphere. But this is like almost hurts. It's distracting me. I don't, I don't need this right now to pray for them. This is extreme. It's, it's like, oh my gosh. And as soon as I'm talking like that, I went, Zoop, totally gone. Instant. Zoop. Now watch. So I turned, and the reality, and now I'm going to pray for them, but that feeling wasn't there. I was almost like, is God going to move? I just told God I don't need this and as soon as it was gone it was so powerful when it was there and the feelings are so powerful and your faith is in line with the feeling now I turned without the feeling and I had to pray for these couple people feeling like is God even going to move I actually had to step by faith even though God just had me like a buzzsaw and I can honestly tell you that is how dependent we are on feelings because there I am. You think I'd have just turned after what I said and just prayed and God would have just flowed and I actually had a trepidation about me feeling like God wasn't going to touch these people in the way that I was proclaiming because I couldn't feel it. And of course he did and I was like, oh my God. I used to get like that for a long time when I'd pray for the sick. And one time it stopped and the Lord had talked to me about leaning on my feelings. I went and did a conference for three days on believing God at a church and what it means to believe God. And at the end of the three-day thing, I said, I want to pray for you guys. It was an impartation kind of thing. If you're really hungry, I want to just believe. We're going to release us into the life of faith. And da, da, da. Who's, who's determined that you're going to live a life believing God after these three days? And da, da. So I set these three days up. This is the last final altar call, right? The whole church, is, there's a bunch of people there. They're all piled up. They're sitting ducks, guys. They're so hungry. They're like, God, I want you tears. I just want to be a believer all the days. And I told him I was going to lay hands on them. And normally, when I would go do that, I would turn into this buzzsaw. And I go to the front to pray for the first one, and nothing. Nothing. I feel like nothing. I mean, so nothing that nothing. 
like God's somewhere way out there. And I started walking the front and I started saying things I say in my bedroom when you're not there that really stir my heart up. And I started doing this, walking back and forth, saying all this stuff that gets me, like hooks me up and all the phrases we use. Nothing. I make about my third pass and I figured God was sitting there thinking, well, Dan, you're gonna wear out the carpet here if I don't talk to you soon because you're waiting to feel me. He said, hey, Dan. And I'm walking through and nobody knew I'm talking to God, you know, and I'm like, yeah. He said, what do you believe? I'm teaching on belief for three days, having an order call. I'm the anointed man of God that's going to impart to him, and I'm waiting for a feeling. And God was like, <clears throat> he did it on purpose. I'm talking, I felt like, I felt like he wasn't, I, it was like he wasn't even nowhere near. He said, Dan, what do you believe? I went, whoa, and then by faith, I just began to touch and pray for people. That was a, a wild setting after a while but I don't need to get into the whole story but isn't it funny how I'm preaching on faith calling them into belief and then I'm relying on a feeling stuff will humble you I was like this thing is subtle and it seems to have power two months after that experience I wasn't feeling God at all when I pray for the sick at all I was driving home one day and I said, Lord, why don't I feel you when I pray for the sick? He said, Dan, it's a grace. It's just a grace. He said, I've removed feelings from you because you're caught over and over living by them and dependent on them. Now watch what he said. I've removed them from you at this point in your life so that you minister unlimited. That's what he said. I'm thinking I'm limited without the feeling. He said, the, the feeling and the time could limit me if I lean on it. Because who knows if, he, if I'm not feeling him, he's still Lord. Yeah. If I'm not feeling him, he's still yes and amen. If I'm not feeling him, he's still amazing. Yeah. And the feeling can actually in time limit you. If it's just a pat on the hiney in the beginning, fine. If you keep it in the right perspective, fine. I still feel God all the time when I worship, when I sing, when I teach, when I preach. But when I go to pray for the sick, zoop, nothing. Isn't that amazing? And I could care less. Because he's still Lord. I just knelt down, didn't feel a thing over there with a lady on Sunday and prayed and she felt the bones move in her feet. And a pain left that hasn't left. And I didn't feel a thing. Don't have to anymore. You just pray, you believe, you receive. Amen? Amen. It's important. We, we chopped our time up here. I never did get in Matthew. I, man, well, it's not that we messed up. We just got on stuff, but that feeling, who, who did that help anybody with that feeling thing? Yeah. Because I was a buzzsaw, guys, and I told God, hey, look, my heart's alive. I'm singing here, man. Let's go for it, but you could just, man, I don't need this. Okay, just left, like totally left. Now I turned, in three seconds turned, and unbelief hits me. It's ridiculous, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's because that's a challenge and that's such a reality we'd just rather always be buzzsaws that would sure make it easy wouldn't it if we were just always just all buzzsaws so let's line up for the buzzsaw impartation anointing <laughs> no let's believe Jesus Amen. 
Because I'll tell you what, you're in trouble if you're laying by your dying spouse's bedside and you don't feel like a buzzsaw. You better know he's Lord. And you better know he loves. And it's not like the leper. I know you can if you're willing. Most of us know he can. But if you're willing is what stumbles us. We need to know he can and is willing. And he'll do it through our spirit. It's to the glory of God through us, exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think by the power that worketh in us. And ye are the body of Christ, the fullness of him that fills all in all. I promise you guys, we're waiting on God and he is waiting for us to understand who we are. I'm convinced. I want to read this real quick and we'll close. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How'd you receive him? Did you receive him like a buzzsaw or did you come to him by faith? See, even if you had a real dramatic encounter, I mean, I had a dramatic encounter when I got saved. I still had to come to him by faith, right? I still had to pray out initially, didn't I? Faith is what founded me, right? Now watch, so I have to walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in who? In him. Established in the faith, oh, as you have been taught. That's what we're working on, aren't we? I don't know that we've all been taught the faith, right? So Paul knows who he's writing to and he knows he's been a good teacher. But that's what we're working on, right? Abounding in it with what? Thanksgiving, not complaining. Now watch, beware, least anyone, I know we covered this weeks ago, but watch this. Beware, least anyone cheat you, take you captive, hold you plunder, take you prisoner. Through philosophy, empty deceit, according to just the way minds of men work, the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. It's called the way that seems right and not according to Christ. Come on, beware least somebody sell you into a mindset that doesn't come from Christ. Into a belief that doesn't come from Christ. Into an identity, a prognosis, a destiny that doesn't agree with Christ. Isn't that what it's saying? Now watch. For in him dwells all, not some, all the fullness of who God is. And you, my friend, you are complete in him. Come on. That is so narrow. Do you hear how narrow that is? Who is the who? The head of all principality and power. Watch this. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You were buried with him in baptism. You're not a sinner. You were circumcised. You put off the sinful identity and nature. You put on Christ. You were baptized with him and were raised with him through faith. Well, I don't feel powerful, brother. Well, I don't feel saved, brother. 
It's through faith, watch. The working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him. He has forgiven you all your trespasses. He's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. And he has taken it out of the way. He tacked it to the cross. He disarmed the powers and principalities that moved through the law of sin and death. That's what that means. That that came and made you reap what you sowed. They made sure that you reaped what you sowed. I'll tell you what they're trying to do now. They're trying to make you reap things you didn't sow. They're trying to make you reap things that he didn't sow. And that's why right before it tells you this, it tells you you need to see you're complete in him. Christ rules. Your mind flows through Christ. Don't think anything apart from or outside of Christ. You are one in him. You're in faith. You started in faith. He authored your faith. You keep your eyes on him. Looking unto him, he'll finish your faith. There's so many scriptures that tie together there. And he disarmed. Look what he did. He disarmed any legal right for the enemy to just come and crush us. Well then why am I going through this? I'm not totally sure. Unless Holy Spirit gives me a real clear reason I don't go looking. I know one thing. Let's get back to who you are and why. And let's camp there and build a strong hole of God. And the wind comes to what? Beat against that house to break it down. What's it trying to destroy? You or what was built? It's trying to destroy what's being built. It's not after you. It's after the kingdom. He triumphed over it. (sighs) This stuff is written so powerfully. If you read this straight through in text and go right into chapter 3. Oh my goodness. You read 1, 2, and 3 of Colossians. (laughs) We're out of time. Do you have a comment or a question? Yeah. Just throw me, throw, yeah, no, no. Yeah, do it quick, because I am past time. I, I, I stopped all the questions in the second half. I needed to, I wanted to get to some scripture. I just didn't make it, but. Okay, I just, I want to add this and insert this right into marriage, okay? Because you, you said a little while ago, and that's why my hand's been up the whole time. It's like, this just melts right in. Okay, right before we got married, we were being hammered by the enemy, you know, why you want to get married, da-da-da-da-da-da. And we got married, and in the, in the presence of that marriage ceremony, it just, everything just broke, okay, while we were doing our vows. And there was physical hits from the enemy. There was flesh involved in this, that, and the other, and all the things of getting married, and da-da-da. Okay, through the, the beginning of the marriage, the enemy started coming in, like oh, you were saying about your wife and, and, and how the, the enemy, blah, 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 right. starts to put thoughts in. And it was, isn't it funny how what thought would come in would be something he would immediately do or whatever thought he would get, I would immediately do, okay? And you could almost, it almost got to the point where um, you could see it and it was so obvious and then there was new strategies and new plans and things but if you take this right here what we learned today and apply it to marriage it will obliviate divorce right out of the water if you understand the enemy the thoughts and how he works and how he goes back and forth and that, even the witchcraft that's involved in that and I don't want to stay there but I want to move right into the, the, the thoughts that come what we say out of our mouths how we perceive and how our, our perspectives are as each other uh, in, a, in a marriage 
it got to the point where the enemy was so hating me and I was having nights that I didn't get any sleep because I would hear all night long and if I did fall asleep I would have dreams that would just uh, be the same repetitious thing of, of and we've talked about this a little bit but I'm going to share in detail what happened in just, in just a week ago before he left that the thoughts and the physical attacks that we had, we would pray for each other. We would actually have the fun and the blessing of seeing it being removed off of each of us as we would pray and believe that that had to go. You know, it, obviously physical attacks from the, the enemy, and some and some of them were pretty intense. Okay, uh, and it was just fun to see them go. That the enemy, no matter what he threw at us, it just wasn't going to work. That our love is so strong, and we're and. In one particular night, it was so bad and so heavy that I kept, no matter whether I was asleep, awake, in a dream, the same repetitious thing kept coming. Um, uh, and I won't say what it was. It was it was cursing and nastiness, but it was aimed towards him. And I sat up on the edge of the bed, and I just dug in like I've been hearing you all along through the school, and even right now, it's just so profound that you just got to dig in. And you can't make, you can't let your mind make you up. You can't nothing. The th- the thoughts, the thinking, everything has just got to bow to this one place that you're in a covenant with right. God. Okay. And I sat on the edge of the bed, and in that moment, I just began to. I didn't really war or anything, although we had warred for each other in times. But I felt like what you were saying is, you know, God, thank you. And I began to say. God, I thank you for your Anthony. I thank you for your Anthony. I thank you for your Anthony. And I sat up on the edge of the bed, and I began to, to, to go over the marriage vows. And when I did that, it was like it became a courtroom scene on my side of the bed, and I saw all the demonic forces that were responsible for all those attacks. And, and, and all I said to God was, I made a covenant with you, and I'm staying in it. And this thing... Of, of wanting to hit us or even the thought of divorce, no. And as soon as I did that, I love you, God. I'm in covenant with you. This thing's for life, unto death. Bam, it was gone. Right. It's just you, you have to stand. take a stand for truth. That's what this, that her testimony is. When something comes that relentless and that unmerciful and just keeps pounding you to where you can't feel like you can't sleep, it's all the more reason to respond all the more aggressive in truth. Actually, actually, that morning, I fell asleep for about one hour, and I heard a door slam on this side of the bed. Anthony heard God put his foot down on his side of the bed, and I heard a pop in the spirit. Right. Those are, those are perceptions yeah. and discernments. They're, they're the things. That, that, was, that was her revelation. That's just something she can relate to. God does that stuff. You don't have to hear the pop in the spirit. I'm not demeaning that. What I'm saying is that's the stuff... That's just personal. That, the, the, the point is, when Satan goes bam, 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 who's ever had something repetitiously just pummel you and your mind? It's because he's intent on establishing that thing as truth to you. And it just shows the intensity of the war we're in, right? What we tend to do is magnify how intense it is and, and the devil won't shut up. And I just, well, yeah, but I can't even sleep, brother. That is the wrong approach. The key is you respond all the more aggressive in truth because truth's your victory. Amen? So it's not about what you're hearing. It's about what God said. So that's what I got out of that. Okay, let's stand to our feet quick. We're closed. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. You're building us up in faith. We just honor you. We stand in the, the honor of you right now and just, just honor you. God, I do believe you gave us a kingdom. 
wanted to talk about it today, got into a lot of questions. We could talk about it tomorrow. The, the cool thing is the truth will be the same. So Father, let us have ears to hear. Encourage and strengthen everyone's hearts. And Father, I thank you for the impartation of truth in our lives that makes us look more like you and move more like you and live more like you. I just thank you that we're encouraged and released in power and in love like never before. Let us have hearts that are strong, minds that won't change. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for you, man. Then We're just done. You're all released. Come on up here. I want to pray for you.